Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Good evening, Paul. How are we? I'm very well, thank you. And welcome all to part nine of our, I think we should call it our football book. Yeah. Uh Football Book Corner podcast. It's quite a mouthful, but, you know, it is is what it is, isn't it? When you say, and and we've had the situation with with groups and pages, etc., and you just say Book Corner, then you get all different kinds of books. So when you then say it's uh, Football Book Corner, then that makes it more, because it has grown out of Book Corner, on the current view with the Idle of Hillsborough, Mr. Terry Curran. But when we do yep. this podcast, it's our football book corner. That's Andy from myfootballbooks.com and me. So we talk about football books. We have no idea where we're going to go, what we're going to talk about. But firstly, we always talk about how people can connect with you on Facebook and Twitter your website yeah. and your monthly newsletter that's got to be out shortly for October. It is, it is, yeah, coming up on um, this weekend, isn't it? So yeah. it's amazing, isn't it? But no, thanks for the introduction, and uh, yeah, it is our football book corner, so uh, all books are good, but especially football ones. Um, and uh, yeah, so um, I've got, yeah, built a website, uh, myfootballbooks.com, uh, which is... Uh, I'm, I'm, I believe it's the largest f- football book only dedicated website in the world. Pete, well uh, done, mate. Paul, so, uh, yeah, I proud believe. Yeah. Uh, I'm not aware of any of us out there until someone t- tells me otherwise. Um, but yeah, so we've got, um, I've got over 10,000 followers now across all the social media platforms are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. So, and it's all at uh, my football books on Twitter, same on Facebook. And uh, yeah, and thanks for the mention. We also uh, do a monthly newsletter uh, every start of the month, which is just basically, as per the website, what we do is promoting books, recommended books, also books that's coming up, new releases, ones that's coming out soon. Um, and if I could also just mention as well, um, we also um, do bookmarks as well. So you could purchase uh, a My Football bookmark for only one forty nine through the website. <laughs> so I have to get that plug in then. So, uh, but yeah, and all top draw, fantastic quality that you've created. You created all your images on your own during lockdown. Yeah. And let's give a mention to your mugs as well because your mugs are fantastic. So, whenever we're yes, doing thanks. this, I'm, I've got I, I usually have a, probably a couple of glasses of wine. Sometimes you might notice it as the podcast <laughs> goes on a little bit later, but <laughs> I've just got uh, lemon squash tonight. My missus, oh, right. yeah, she's banned me from drinking at home during the week. So uh, I don't oh, drink, right. yeah, during the week. I just smash it the weekend. <laughs> oh, there you go, there. I remember cover. <laughs> <laughs> and how, how's, the, how's the moving gone? Because you, you, you did move house, didn't you? Is that all okay? Yeah. And have you got yeah. your bookshelf all sorted in your study? <laughs> 
Not quite, so yeah, that's why there's been a d- bit of delay between the last episode and this one, but yeah, moved all house, thankfully. The books, uh, as you could probably imagine, uh, well, I had, I think at the last count, if you picture these great big uh, plastic containers, I think they're 84 litre, I think I had eight of them, maybe more, full of books, wow. and uh, and yeah, pretty much all of them are still in the um, plastic containers, ready to go on shelves, so bit by bit they're getting onto the shelves, but... It takes a bit of negotiation with the with the wife, let's say, in terms of getting the room. Now, is that the reason why you actually moved house to accommodate all your football books? Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. You've been speaking to her, so yeah, um, yeah, it probably is about that. So uh, yeah, it's a growing collection, but um, yeah. There's always there's always room for an extra one now on the shelf. Absolutely. So, <laughs> what are you reading at the moment, and what are you promoting? What's on your list? How many books are you going to be talking about? Because what <laughs> I've tended to do over the last few podcasts is yeah. um, nail down ten, maybe twelve books that have caught my eye, and largely through going onto your Twitter and Facebook feeds. I look at something, I go, oh, I like that. Then I share yeah. it to the group because we have got a group that's attached to the podcast. And also to, if it's a historic book, to one of my groups, which is looking at football memories of the 50s, 60s, 70s and 80s. And then yeah. always, if I like a book, I put it onto our group, The Current View, and we do talk about one or two of the books. And you do give us a recommendation every week for The Current View. And this week it was uh, Jimmy Greaves by people yes. that know him or knew him, shall we say, because it, it is just over a year since Jimmy passed and Mike Donovan yeah. has written a fantastic book. So I think we should start there and uh, celebrate the life of Sir Jimmy Greaves. That's what it should be called. Yeah, yeah great place to start as well. And uh, uh, Mike Donovan's a, um, a recognised author just in himself. Um, I know he's done a number of books. Um, and uh, yeah, that the one he did. Uh, well, he's done a number of. I think he did one um, really good one on Dave McKay not um, not too long ago. Right, actually. Okay, yeah, uh, Braveheart, uh, wasn't it? That's it. Yeah, football's Braveheart, and uh, Jimmy Greaves is uh, yeah a great story to tell, isn't it? As uh, I mean, the subtitle uh, to Mark Donovan's book on Jimmy Greaves is the authorised celebration of a national uh, national treasure, and I think that pretty much sums it up, doesn't it? When you think of Jimmy. Uh, and his goal-scoring talent, and yeah, which kind of get forgotten about if he ever turned on Sky Sport and talk about football starting in 1992, pretty much, uh, and seemed to forget about some of the greats, uh, and arguably Jimmy's right up there, if not at the top, when it comes to goal-scoring records. Absolutely. So, and I've noticed yeah. another wonderful book, while we're talking about great goal-scorers, I have it in front of me, it's a lovely colour, I love the the I love these books that not all books are the same, but you know the books that um, Stephen Scrag the the trilogy. Um, oh yes. You, you you know the way that the books bound in, yeah. in the, the the great cover that they have, yeah. and it looks like you know it's almost like a work of art book. It is, isn't it? And um, so the it's called Fifty Greatest Goal Scorers in the history of British football by Neil Beacom. And on the front, there's Harry Kane, Ian Rush, Jimmy Greaves, Dennis Law and Alan Shearer. And it profiles 50 of the greatest goal scorers, including...
Steve Bloomer, Dixie Dean, Jimmy Greaves, Dennis Law, Ian Rush, wow. Alan Shearer and, uh, and Harry Kane, goal scorers from three centuries of football uh, right through to the Premier League era. Um, Fabulous. But I didn't think we'd been playing for 300 years, so I don't quite <laughs> see how it's from three centuries of football, but certainly many decades of football, because you're absolutely right. Football wasn't yeah. invented in 1992. The first football league was in 1881. And the 8th, yeah. of, uh, 8th of September was the, the first group of fixtures that come out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you mentioned it. I think you mentioned Steve Bloomer there, didn't you? So yes. uh, that's, a, that's a name going back to the early, the very early days. Over 100 years ago now, isn't it? He's yeah, quite absolutely. famous for his Derby days as well, wasn't he? There's still a statue of him actually yeah. at Pride Park at Derby. Yeah, um, he actually but, played um, baseball for Derby as well, did Steve Bloomer. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. I, I, I seem to re- recall that. So I remember reading his book. Um, there was a biography done on him called Destroying Angel. Absolutely. Off the top of my head. Yeah, yeah. so uh, uh, great. There's great stories, isn't there, down here. Some great goal scorers and uh, some that you just completely forget about, including the one which relates to one of our, my suggestions, which I'll probably start off with, is um, Brian Clough. Uh, we always think of his managerial talents, don't we? Yep. But not necessarily sometimes his, uh, his, what, how good he was as a footballer um, before he took on uh, the role of this book that I've been reading at the moment called... Uh, Al- I never, I'm not sure how to pronounce this, I must admit. I'll probably get it completely wrong. Alchemy, um, uh, which is about Brian Clough and Peter Taylor uh, at Hartley Pools United. And it is purposely with the S because it was known as Hartley Pools at that time. Uh, and it's just come out through the uh, great publishers called the History Press, um, and uh, yeah, I've been reading that. So, uh, but yeah, Cluffy's another one of those goal scorers, isn't he? I'm sure he's including that in those fifty, uh, and obviously, sadly, after retiring at the age of 29, when he had a, a terrible injury playing for Sunderland. Um, but this book, this book itself, is brilliant. It's uh, it, yeah, when he started at Hartley Pools, he was just age 30. Uh, and he was joined by Peter Taylor, who I think was manager at the time at uh, just down the road at Burton Albion. And again, there's a great synergy there as well about these stories. Burton Albion, you know, Brian's son, Nigel Clough, was manager there as well for some time. Um, and yeah, and it's a great, really great read. Also reminds you as well, there's a 16-year-old called John McGovern uh, that played underneath uh, Clough and Taylor at Hartlepool's. And he followed Cloughy everywhere uh, to then Derby, Leeds and... Of course, Forrest um, been a European uh, Cup champion as well. So, so it's a great read. Yeah, won it twice, twice. with your team, Nottingham yes. Forest. I, yes. I also um, have this book in front of me. Um, okay. Was there two teams, Hartlepool and Hartlepool's United, and they merged together? Or did they That's just it. drop the S? Yeah, no, there's two. That, they dropped the S because I think they'd merged. I think it was two... Two towns, I did read it somewhere, and I was just trying to remember. I think it might have been the Hartlepool Town or West Hartlepool. Yeah. I think they've merged together, yeah. So, uh, um, you'd be able to find it somewhere. But, yeah. And, and, that's, and then they dropped the S. Christopher Hall has written the book. Yeah. Uh, the History Press have kindly sent me a book. I have spoken <coughs> to Christopher. Um, ah, good. Very, very, very intelligent man. He's a lecturer as well, isn't he? Very intense. Is he? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 From, from London. And uh, and he's a Hartlepool United fan who's, who's oh, okay. written a book, yeah. So 
I had a good old chat with him. We haven't done the podcast yet. Uh, we're going to be doing it when he's less busy because he's really rushed off his feet. It's a busy time for him yeah. in education at the moment. This really was a labour of love. And yeah. I did say, what, what does alchemy mean? <laughs> it's a great title. It's a great um, cover. And it's like yeah. embossed, isn't it, in gold writing, alchemy? Yeah. But, I mean, it's a, it's did, a great word, isn't it, and a great title for a book. I you did, almost look I at did, it and think, wow, that's different. It is, yeah. I did research it, so because I, I didn't know what it meant. And if you look at the dictionary, it's saying it's a scene... It, the dictionary is a seemingly magical process of transformation. So uh, I think that's kind of linking it into Brian Clough and obviously where he started from and, well, the magical process of where he went in his management career. So, yeah, that's what it means. I did have to check it because it does great sound. But like you said, the way it's written, um, the, the front cover, and it has it in gold letters, just really makes it stand out, doesn't it? Uh, doesn't it? Really just... impressive. And it's great that there's a book about Brian's early days in management. Mm. And you did reference John McGovern. I was under the impression that Cluffy and Taylor discovered McGovern, but they didn't. It was already there. They certainly gave him his stripes, but they yeah. didn't discover and scout him up. But I have done a recently a podcast with John McGovern in our Legends of the 70s series. So Superb. if you go on to our, or any of your general outputs of where you buy or where you reference mm. and listen to the podcast whether it be iCast, Spotify or just Google search SRB Media or become a Patreon and then you, you get everything in, in one place all the w's.patreon.com forward slash SRB Media would make it very easy to find everything but they all are out there on a, on a cloud somewhere so uh, that's the beauty of modern technology. It's something I don't understand, but thankfully Chris does. But I do understand that this is a fantastic book and it's yeah. brilliant that we've known so much about his forest time. We've known yeah. so much about his Derby time, not so much about his Brighton days. And we didn't know very much about his Hartley Pools days until yeah. Christopher had written the book and we will be doing a podcast together very shortly. So watch this space, guys. Yeah, brilliant. There's great stories. I, I remember reading uh, reading the book. I've not quite finished yet, but there's bits about um, Clough uh, went to, um, in order to generate funds uh, for the club. He visited uh, every pub in town. Yeah. <laughs> it just a great little story. So, uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, just classic Cluffy, even at that age of 30. Was that for a totter to try and get people into the ground? What, what was the reason of visiting the a, pub? Bit of both. It's a combination, <laughs> probably that, yeah. Well, probably the latter as well, and uh, if it while I'm here. <laughs> because, again, the beauty of this book, it's like, Brian Clough was given the job as Hartley Pool's manager. I mean, nobody knew whether in them days Cluffy was going to sink or swim. He'd yeah, just exactly. come off the, bad of, you know, the back of a bad injury that, that cut his career short. Um, yeah. he, he then went and I think he'd done a bit of coaching, didn't he, for Sunderland's youth team because that's he where did. he gets the connection with John O'Hare and then got yeah. offered this job. So Clough got, um, I think he got one child, hadn't he? And I think possibly Nigel was on the way. Um, yeah. He didn't know what he was going to do, where he was going to go. So yeah. for the first time in Cloughy's life, 
He probably didn't know what was going to happen next, but what did happen next was literally history yeah. in the making. And I think it's great that a book like that can tell the first steps of his managerial and mercurial rise. Well, it's the fact that there's, a, there's, great, there's great pictures in there. And the one I'm looking at it now, he's got him, he's repairing uh, and painting one of the, the stands at Hartlepool. Yeah. So, you know, I just you just call picture uh, Pep Guardiola or Jose Mourinho or anyone like that. Kind of, I can't imagine they probably did that at the start of their career. But then again... <laughs> a different you, time again, but... But again, that's the beauty yeah. in the age of innocence of football. Yeah, that when yeah. the manager had to do more than manage the football club. I mean, these days, the managers, they want a, a, a manager, uh, well, somebody that goes and does the scouting, having a scouting network. Then they'll have yeah. somebody between the manager and the chairman and a director of football role. They have various different roles for medical science. And they even employ people to have you know, monitor the sleep of football players these days. Yeah. Cluffy had to do everything. <laughs> and uh, we have even, te- even have referee, um, sorry, coaches for each part of the area of the pitch. Like you, you got a defending coach, you got a midfield coach. It's just, yeah, incredible. Yeah, how football has changed. And I always <laughs> say not for, well, not, not, not for the better for me. Many would argue otherwise. But not for me. Give me the old days, those halcyon days of the golden age yeah. of football and the great book there that, that covers uh, Brian Clough's yeah. first steps in management. A book, yeah. a book I noticed. Um, Denied promotion by a tree. The book of amazing football facts by Les okay. Scott. I have promoted, well, I'll say promoted. I've shared it on my socials and I've put it into the group and into the current view group as well. It's a book that I've... All of a sudden, it, it just come up on on the timeline, I guess. Yeah. Have you noticed these days on Facebook, since Meta is, or Meta yeah. or whoever they are have, have bought it, <laughs> there's so many more promoted uh, like sites and pages yeah. that just turn up. And, and I think that's how I've come across this one. I've gone, they know. Oh, that yeah. looks interesting. How the hell... Can you be denied promotion by a tree? And, and I look at it and I think, I'm going to have a word with Les and I'm certainly going to buy that book because I do like a book of amazing football facts. I love football facts. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. I love, love, love those t- different kind of stories as well. But obviously, again, you wouldn't have heard of, would you? If no, you wouldn't. Uh, put it pen to paper. Yeah, a football fact that I come across years ago, and I, don't, I actually don't know if it is true or, or false, but England played Germany. Uh, we drew 3-3 at Wembley this week. And yep. Germany wore or their, their away kit, their second kit, if you like, is green, isn't it? And, yeah. And apparently yep. they adopted the green because the Republic of Ireland were the only team that would play against Germany after the Second World War. So, oh, out, right. yeah, so out of a mark of respect for the Irish, West Germany, as it was back then, adopted their colours as their second strip. Wow. Now, if it ain't true, it's a great story. <laughs> it's a belter, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it is, yeah. Mm. 
Yeah, I love that story. So you don't know why our promotion was denied by trees of yet, man. No, I've not. I've not. I've not seen that, but I'll have to dig that out. Yeah. I think that's one that's come out. I did. I have seen it. So I think it come out. I think it might come out this month actually. So mm-hmm. uh, uh, it rings a bell. So I'll have to pick that one out as well and find out the story behind that particular one. Yeah, Les Scott. Yeah. I'll um I'll message Les and see if he fancies doing a podcast, and we can yeah. get the uh, we can get the reason why <laughs> it was denied by a tree. I mean, I'm guessing, I'm guessing, you know, promotion back in 1977 for Bolton Wanderers was denied by a Wolverhampton Wanderers goal scored by Kenny Hibbett. And I've had the pleasure Mm. of making a Game of My Life podcast with Kenny. And it was that infamous free kick with Willie Carr when he's, Kenny's run over the ball, he's touched it, Willie's fine there to, to hit the ball and then he's, chipped it over the wall yeah. and Kenny's dug it in so I do know that promotion on many times has been denied by a kick of a ball but but not by <laughs> uh, not by a tree <laughs> that's brilliant it's a great title for a book isn't it yeah, I've yeah. always I think I've said this before there's lots of books out there and I think if you can get your um, the feel of a book right as you've mentioned um, you know like the, like the, the alchemy uh, book Brian Clough you can get the book the look feels right uh, it looks good, it's, uh, but if you can get a good title as well, something that catches your, your imagination, kind of thing, then uh, you're onto a winner. And obviously, a good story is one in between does yeah, help. Absolutely, <laughs> I did mention yeah. Stephen Scraggs' uh, trilogy earlier, mm. um, and the book I'm re- I am actually reading the book. I haven't finished the 17th Granddad. What was football like? In the right, yeah, but I am gonna. <laughs> but I'm doing a podcast with Dennis Mortimer. I've done several podcasts. Um, oh, previously okay. with Dennis, but his yeah. new book, well, his new book, his autobiography is out yeah. now. The Full Morty, uh, written with Richard Sydenham, and forward by uh, Brian Robson. Now it is a fantastic read, but not only is it a fantastic read, it's a fantastic cover, and yeah. the title is one of my favourite titles: yeah. The Full Morty. What title. Yeah, great combination there. Yeah, obviously that's uh, come out through Pitch, which is arguably right up there, isn't it, in terms of publishers. And they do have the, that kind of... Uh, the the gift of uh, pulling together great titles and making the front cover really stand out. I've got that in front of me as well. It's fantastic, isn't it? So uh, what a great, great uh, title that is, Four More to. Well, I was listening to Dennis. He was on local radio last night with uh, with a pal of mine, yeah. Daz Ali. I used to go in and, and do stuff with Daz on a Thursday mm. night. Now I'm sitting talking to you on my bed on a Thursday night <laughs> <laughs> about football <laughs> books. But um, yeah. I'm sure Dennis, Dennis said originally Richard had got the working title of Dennis Mortimer, the King of the Holt End, or it was something, okay. yeah, something like that, and. Dennis wasn't very happy happy with that title. Right, okay. I mean, he wasn't, like, unhappy, but he just felt that he wasn't an Andy Gray, he wasn't a Brian Little, he wasn't an Andy Lockhead, he wasn't yeah. he wasn't a king of the Holt end like those yeah. fellas were. And he was telling Andy Blair, it was probably at the, one of the meetings at the uh, Wollaston Bar, the, uh, the Britannia Sports Bar that I've attended, many of them recently, that <laughs> celebrated Aston Villa's European Cup glory days and okay. the first league title in 71 years. And he was talking to Andy Blair and he was telling him about it. And Andy said, I've got the title for you, The Full Morty. 
I said, Excellent. That's genius. So the title of the book come from Andy Blair, who Ron had nice. brought in, not really to replace Dennis, but a similar kind of player to Dennis. Um, yeah. In, in those days after they won the uh, Football League Championship. Yeah. While we're on the Villa subject, I'm just going to briefly talk to our author of the week, Mr. Colin Abbott. Serbian media. Mr. Colin Abbott, welcome to uh, our football book podcast, mate. Author of the week, no less than. Thank you very much. And when I say author of the week, of course, I mean author of the month. But Andy has moved and it's been a couple of months since we've done the last uh, hour. And it is now our football book podcast. It's rather a mouthful, but I did want to get you on as author of the month because I'm a big fan of yours. When I first or when we first hooked up, it was over your Aston Villa, the first 150 years with John Farrelly and John Russell. Absolute coffee table, magnificent book. We're not going to talk about that because we have done a podcast already about that. We will again reconvene in, I think it's 2024, isn't it? When the second part of that comes out. You've done another wonderful, the big Aston Villa book of the 70s. Again, with Legends Publishing, David Lane, an absolute legend. And the latest book that you're working on is a very similar book. It's the big Aston Villa book, but it's not the 70s. It's the 80s. We've just referenced uh, Dennis Mortimer's book, The Full Morty, which Dennis has done the foreword of your book. So let's just talk about, firstly, the 80s, because it was a great decade for Villa, or the first part of it was a great decade for Villa. And then we'll talk about your Barton's Army book as well, sir. No problem at all, Paul. So you no fire away. How long has it taken? I mean, I know you and your research is second to none and it is a labour of love. So how long has it I taken do. you? And when did you start doing this concept? Because you've had it on the back burner for some time, haven't you? We have. We had to We had to keep shelving it to go on to other projects, unfortunately. Yes. Yeah. Um, when the 70s come out, we had a book launch at Villa Park in November 16. But as soon as Dave... Uh, formatted the book and it was and it was sort of signed off and went to the printers. I actually started on the eighties book back then, yeah. and I started doing match reports because bearing in mind there's about five hundred to do over the course of a season. Uh, I started I started in earnest once the seventies went to print, so I probably started that about September October sixteen, and it's it's finally there six years down the line, but. I've got to say, we actually we put that one on the back burner twice. Once to do the the one that you mentioned, the 150 years, and then once that had been completed, we came back to the 80s book. But then, what with all the hype of the the celebrations for the 40th anniversary of the the lads winning the European Cup, I wanted to do something, and Dave Lane come up with this fantastic concept. So we got Barton's Army out the way and then we restarted for the third time with the 80s. And it has only just this week been, as I would say, signed off. It's it's remaining open till Sunday for fans to get the names in. And then first thing Monday or Tuesday, it's off to be printed. And that's the that's the latest project. And it's 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 reached completion. And it's 
I was pleased with the 70s one, but this one, it it knocked spots off it simply because of what we achieved. Yeah. We started the season with a bang, winning the title. We'd been we'd been threatening. We'd been threatening in, in 76 to 7. I actually think, and and I've spoken to Dennis Mortimer about this. I, I I actually thought we were going to win the treble, you know. Yeah, Dennis was was thinking along those same lines, and he was he was quite. I'm reading Dennis's book at the moment. He was quite disappointed when Villa didn't win the treble because they could have, and they were a gnat's whisker, wasn't they? Away from it. Yeah, well, we had when you consider we had. I think it was 14 cup matches that season. That's yeah. a third. That's a third of what the the league was back in the day when it was 42 games. Yes, we had. Every time the Villa turned up at the baseball ground, you could guarantee there was injuries. Chris Nickel, Chris Nickel was injured. Andy Gray was injured. Frank Caradus was injured. Chris Nickel only played in the cup final because they strapped his foot up that tight. He said it was like when he hit that ball from 35 yards out, he said it was like hitting it with an iron, yeah. you know, playing golf. Mm. That ball was going nowhere other than in the net. Yeah. And... Uh, those injuries cost us the. I think we finished six points behind Liverpool that season when we finished fourth. Yeah, you did. There wasn't a lot in it, and you you think of the games that we could have won, but that was a. I, I suppose that was like a prelude to what was on the horizon. Saunders was tweaking here and there. You know, it's everybody goes on about the final piece of the jigsaw. Don't mention the the other ten pieces of the jigsaw prior, but. But I can see his analogy in that. And the players, the players all said that from the Leeds game onwards, I was I was at a gig in the week there, Jimmy Rimmer. He said he knew it was on the boil. Dennis Dennis knew that they were going to do it from the league from the very first league game at Leeds. Mm. Uh, so this eighties book, to start the season, to start the decade, I should say, sorry, with a with winning the title, and when you think about it, eighty nine to ninety we were so, so close to winning that again. Yeah. So there was a there was a downside through the middle of the decade. We never we never got close really to the to what we achieved in that first year. The second season, you know, we finished eleventh. That would yeah. that was pretty rough. Bearing in mind Ipswich Town who they pushed us all the way in eighty to eighty one. They actually finished runners up in eighty one to two. Yeah, they did now, twice, didn't they? Yeah. That's consistency. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, like I say, we, we we fell away to eleventh, but I defy any team to say that dude they they didn't they wouldn't finish eleventh if they got the European Cup in their hands. It was a no brainer, wasn't it? Absolutely, and, and an unbelievable situation happened in February that year when Ron Saunders resigned, walked out, then went to Birmingham City. Tony well, Barton took over. Villa were 15th at the time and did end yeah. up 11th, so there was a little bit of progression. Tony didn't really tinker much with the team. He had that many great professionals. Tony, Tony didn't need to, Paul. Absolutely. Tony didn't need to because with, with doing this book and doing the Barton's Army book, I had a, I was really fortunate to get close to Tony Barton's family, be it Chris and Gary's sons or Tony's widow Rosina, yeah. and where everybody assumed, I certainly assumed that Tony Barton was Ron Saunders' assistant manager, 
Yeah, he was chief scout, wasn't he? It, well, he came in as a scout, mm. but his actual title, believe it or not, was manager's assistant. Got oh, yeah. And I'll tell you what, assistant manager and manager's assistant, it's it's like the difference between night and day. Right, okay. But you said Tony didn't, you know, Tony didn't tinker with anything. Tony didn't need to. He knew exactly what he had there because, and again, I only found out through the research from Ron Saunders coming in at Villa Park. Well, Keith, Lin- Keith Leonard got injured early 75 in a, as it happens, in an injury against Jimmy Rimmer. Yeah. The Villa needed to replace Keith Leonard. They needed a forward. Tony Barton, who was at Portsmouth at the time, had earmarked a young Scottish lad no one had heard of called Andy Gray. He was in the employ of Portsmouth. Portsmouth didn't want him because he wasn't a name to put bums on seats. Tony got in touch with Ron Saunders, who they'd they'd played together at Fratton Park. Tony, uh, Ron was sold on the idea, got Andy Gray in, and as a result of that, he offered Tony the job of chief scout. Tony Tony relocated with his family up to Birmingham from Portsmouth. His first signing was the, the first person Tony actually recommended to Ron was Dennis Mortimer, believe it or not. Right. And every single player, and, and I have this on good authority, I've spoke to, I actually spoke to Tony's personal assistant, Tony Barton's personal assistant, just to get clarity on it. Every single player that came in from Dennis Mortimer all the way through to when Tony Barton was actually sacked, the only the only player that came through the door where Tony had nothing to do with it was actually David Geddes. Yeah. You think of all the other players that came in, you've got your Kenny Swains and your Des Bremners and your, your Peter Withers and your Tony Morleys, Ken McNaught, Tony Barton. Tony Barton was the with the eyes that found those. You're it's incredible. Yeah, you're absolutely spot on because I've been to quite a few of the quite a few of the events um, commemorating Villa's successes of winning both the league and then the European Cup. And to a man, every player has sung the praises of Tony Barton. And when Andy yeah. Blair has said, "Well, how did you come to Villa Park?" It's well, Tony Barton. How did you, Tony Barton? Tony yeah. Barton was so instrumental in the development because behind that manager, that manager needs a team and Saunders got a great team. And when you look at the 80s team that went on and won the European, the league and the European Cup, that 70s team, he built that in the image of the 70s team, didn't he? Where you, you did. could look at Gray and, uh, and Little and then you could look at Shaw and With. Either one could play with the other. You know, for instance, Peter With could have played with Brian Little, and, and Peter was brought in really to play with That's Brian. Right. He had but, that problem as well with injuries, didn't he? So what yeah. he done was quite remarkable. Andy Gray, he was, you know, he, I know he wasn't quite the, he wasn't in the same physique and the same mould as Peter With, but Andy put himself about. And he, I think he was five foot ten, but bloody hell, he could he could jump. Yeah, he could. He could jump. He, he, the goals he scored with his head were no one's business. Mm. And Brian fed off him. You had John Dee, and that was prolific at scoring. They moved on. And then it, Peter With was the target man, much as Andy Lockhead had been back in the 70s. And then you had a young Gary Shaw feeding off Peter. Yeah. So it was a progression. And had Alex Cropley not got injured, 
Alex Copley would have carried on to be in the team that won the title. Yeah, he got injured. Des Bremner was his his replacement, yeah. a very very similar middle of the park player. Yeah. And Des Bremner, he never he never really got the credit or the plaudits that the bloke deserved. He was never going to be a match winner. He wasn't blonde haired, and you know he wasn't like a a Gary a Gary Shaw pin up type thing, where Gary would get ten out of ten some weeks, and he might go down a bit. Whereas with Des Bremner, he was a he was a constant. He'd have been a number eight, eight out of ten every game of the season. Never put a foot wrong. Never sort of caught the eye, but he did a job. You know. Absolutely. He was a steady Eddie. He was Mr. Consistency, Mr. Reliability. Exactly. And and as you say, I mean, another player that they got from Scotland, there was a big Scottish contingent during the 70s and the 80s, wasn't there? And Andy, I remember doing an interview with Andy, a podcast with Andy, and he said, Ron hadn't seen me play football. Andy didn't even know where Aston Villa was. But, no, that's know, right. He he come down there, and I think the first taste of a, uh, Aston Villa and Villa Park was when um, Villa exactly. put Birmingham City to the sword, and Brian that's scored right. the winning goal, wasn't it? He? he was there on the bench and thought, "Blimey!" And he was in the and he was in the dugout, like you dugout, said. Yeah. He, he wanted a beast of it. <laughs> exactly, yeah, and he's like, "Blimey!" I mean, this is a big club. Yeah. I think at Dundee United, where he previously played, I think they used to get probably twelve, fifteen, eighteen thousand maximum. This was a different ball game for Andy. Of course, Craig. it was. What I, what I would say in Ron's defence, you know, and, you know, I'm waxing lyrical about Tony Barton for bringing all these players in. Yeah. But what you've got to think of, when Tony went up to Dunfermline and watched Alan Evans, Alan was a forward. Yeah, he was. And when Kenny Swain came down to Villa Park, Kenny was a forward. Yeah, he was a like a, a right-sided, like your old outside right. Yeah. Your number seven. Mm. And then... Gary Williams, he started off as a centre-half initially, and then he found these places and he, he changed them around. He, he took Dennis, he took, he took Alan Evans from a centre-forward role, struck him alongside a fellow Scott Kenmack Nort, and wow, one of, the best, one of the best half-back pairings you would see until Paul McGrath come on the scene, but again, you know, further down the line. And then Kenny Swain, you know, again, Kenny, was, uh, Kenny was an attacking full-back. And Kenny told me once that Ron Saunders had said to him, I want you to defend on their 18-yard line. And that just speaks volumes. But he he did not want his side defending deep. He wanted them to be on the offensive all the time. Absolutely. And that, that was the mark of Saunders. Absolutely, but when you'd identified the central defensive partnership there, uh, the, the the team before it, you'd got an overlapping right fullback in in John Gidman, hadn't you? you well, know, that's right. We, Kenny Kenny Swain basically took the place of Gidman. Exactly, yeah. And then yeah. you look at Chris Nickel and McNaught took the place of Nickel. Alan Evans and, took the place of Leighton Phillips. You know, that's so right. all of these players, he he, he identified the, the players to replace and brought them in. And the transition was was almost seamless, wasn't it? Yeah, and let's it, not it, forget it, in the seventies, Dixie Dean, because Dixie was a great forward who scored phenomenal. a lot of goals, didn't he, in that one season? That's that's right, that's right. He uh, yeah, he was he was very unfortunate, Dixie, because he was he was sort of pushed out to West Bromwich Albion. Yeah, but uh, yeah, Saunders, you know, he, he swapped players like for like. You know, I never, th- I never thought John Gidman would be replaced, but he was. Yeah. And 
I've actually read Dennis's book, The Full Morty. Absolutely, it's a riveting read. I actually thought, you know, through my conversations with Dennis, he's he's put the forward down for this 80s book. He's been one of seven players interviewed for this 80s book. Uh, you know, when I say interviewed, you know, there's like a four or five page spread on seven players. Yeah. Dennis was gracious enough to be one of those. And when he when he talks, you listen, and everything he says just makes sense. And he gives you such a beautiful, wonderful insight into the workings of that team that was so achieving, you know? You can certainly see why Dennis was the captain, because he's a great talker, great inspiration, oh, a great absolutely, leader. Absolutely brilliant bloke. Even, you know, I'll stand and talk in his I'll stand and, and talk to him, and you know that you're in the presence of someone special. You just do. Absolutely. You, you was, can't. You can't not be. Who was the other players that you interviewed for uh, your Aston Villa? Uh, your big. It's called the big Aston Villa book of the eighties. So it, it just sits alongside the seventies book, doesn't it? Yeah. That's right. Well, we've been really, really fortunate with the people that we've got on board. Gary Thompson. Bearing in mind these interviews took place probably two years ago. Gary Thompson, who, wow, I remember I remember watching him in that 87 to 88 season when Graham Taylor got us up. Yeah. And the Villa fans used to sing Bruno. You know, he was built like the yeah, proverbial. Again, uh, come from Coventry, didn't they? Yeah, he was absolutely phenomenal. Well, he, he, well, he did play for Coventry. He came to us from Sheffield Wednesday. Oh, right, OK. Yeah, he was playing for Sheffield Wednesday the year we get got relegated, his boss was Howard Wilkinson. Got you. And as he come off the pitch, Ron Wiley, you know, another Villa legend, had said to Tomo, would you like to come to Villa Park? And Gary said, I'd walk there to come to Villa. Yeah. Howard Wilkinson saw him talking to the enemy and he, <laughs> he cussed him. <laughs> but uh, Gary Thompson, he, he gave us a really, really lovely in-depth interview. And yet, You've got to remember, he was in the process, like Dennis, of doing his own book. You know, it's yeah. uh, Don't Believe a Word. I've got a copy of that. I've, I haven't had time to, to go through it as in-depth as I want to because I've got my own stuff going on. But Gary says it. He tells it exactly as it is, you know, warts and all. And he's a, he was a phenomenal player. Nobody can forget those two goals he scored at Birmingham City that when we beat them 2-1 on the way to coming up with Taylor. He scored a lot of goals for us that year, Gary Thompson. He was one of them. Dennis Mortimer was another one of the seven, as mentioned. I got Nigel Spink involved. He he tells a he tells a lovely story. I wasn't aware that he played for West Ham as a as a kid and he let a chunk of goals in. It was either Martin Chivers or Jimmy... I think it was Martin Chivers scored four past him and he was called into the West Ham office and the hierarchy there were John Lyle and Ron Greenwood and he basically told him not to give him his job on the building site. <laughs> and yet, look what he aspired to, you know. He's done something that West Ham have never done. They haven't won the European Cup. So, Nigel was one. Kevin Gage... The, you know, he started off at Wimbledon, Kevin, fantastic player for us. He started as a right back, then he was a he was a probing midfield player, he weighed in with goals. 
proper no nonsense. Well, never mind no nonsense. I think I think Gagey was a bit of a fair player. I remember him scoring a couple when Norwich City were actually top of the table. We beat Norwich three yeah. one, and Kevin Gage scored two of the goals, and he was he was on fire that season. Very very reliable player. We have Mark Burke. Mark didn't make a great deal of appearances for us, but. Uh, he did a job for us when he was called upon. Unfortunately, he followed. He followed. There was like an exodus from Villa Park that went to Ayrson Park, Middlesbrough. Yeah. Bruce Rioch was the manager up there. They got the likes of the goalkeeper, uh, Kevin Paul. They got Paul Kerr. Mark Burke went up there. There's there's a few more went up. I can't remember offhand who they were. But Mark's another one that was interviewed, and you know. He might not have played as many games or as, was as prominent as the lads we've mentioned, but he still played a role. Then we have we have Andy Gray, the lad that came from Crystal Palace, not the Scottish one. Yeah. Andy Andy was a fantastic player. Uh, I saw him get sent off in a couple of games, but he wore his heart on his sleeve, Andy. And I've been talking to him recently, funny enough. Um, Back in the day when I lived in the northeast, there were some games I just could not get tickets for, one being looting away, you know, and it was members only. Yeah. And Andy Gray used to, I caught him the one day, but Middlesbrough coming, get, coming out the, the ground at Middlesbrough after a three-all draw, and I was asking a few players if he could help us get a ticket for looting, and Andy said, yeah, I'll get you one. And I said, you know, you're not pulling me chain because it's a long way to go down to Luton from the northeast. And he said, no, I'll, I'll have a ticket, and he did. and. Uh, he helped us get tickets for that famous Crew Alexander game when we were trailing 2 0 at half time. I was in the seats for that through tickets that Andy got me. Yeah. I was ending up sitting next to this young girl who turned out to be David Platt's future wife. Right. At half time, I went round the back of that stand just to stretch my legs, and I actually listened. I could hear through this glass, I could hear Graham Taylor reading the players, the riot act. And I didn't actually think Graham Taylor swore till then, and you know, sort of wow. <laughs> so, yeah. And then the last player that we've got for this book, and I, I, I don't know how to this day how he, why, how I managed to get him to agree, but I actually interviewed David Platt Probably over bird. <laughs> quite a few hours. Well, I, funny enough, I told him the story when. When I was interviewing him last year on the phone, I told him this story about how I'd been sat next to this this girl, Rachel, and she said to me, she says, oh, how's David Platt doing? I said, oh, he's, he's playing brilliant. I said, he, he scored four goals against Ipswich in a, in a cup match a few weeks ago. And she says, yes, I've got the match ball. And I turned to my mate, and there was a few expletives among it, but I basically said, I wouldn't be giving my girlfriend the match ball. <laughs> and... After that, she didn't speak to me. <laughs> and I reminded David of that. He says, when he gets off the phone, he's going to go and mention this to her. <laughs> but David, you know, the superstar that he was, the story that he tells me, it was, it was, it was quite surreal, actually, because he's telling me how he'd come down to Villa from Crew Alexander. He'd, he'd gladly left Old Trafford because he wasn't getting first team time. He comes to Villa, finds himself in the reserves. He's not even training with the first team, and he's he's going back to a hotel. He's sitting there, 
watching four walls thinking I've made a mistake here. I've taken a backwards I've taken a backward turn because I am no longer a first team player. And you think, you know, he's telling you this and then you you know, straight away you think of David Platt, you think of that, that wonderful goal he scored against Belgium. Oh, yes. And then this same lad's telling you how he thought he made a mistake yeah. because he'd come to Aston Villa. It's and it's like, wow. It is crazy, um, isn't it, the way that the players have had times in the career where they just thought, wow, what am I doing? But then, yeah. you know, the way that that they they progress and and the uh, and and their their path, if you like, uh, is just opens up for them, and they just turn into this magnificent player. Yeah. And what a player he was at Villa Park, wasn't he, Plato? Well, I I was talking to him on the phone, and I and I did say we the name Gordon Cowens came up. And David Platt said, honestly, he absolutely loves Sid. Yeah. And it's the first time I've ever, ever given a player's number over without asking their permission. But after I got off the phone to David, mm. David was aware that Sid's got a few problems yes. yeah. where his memory's concerned. Mm-hmm. And I phoned Sid and I said, I've just been having a wonderful conversation with Platty. Here's his number. Give him a ring, Sid. And he did, right. and and that would have helped him enormously. And the the love that they have for each other, without that sounding weird, yeah. David mm. would say to he, he mentioned in one. It's mentioned in the books. So I don't want to go too deep, yeah. but when we were playing into Milan at home, David scored the second goal. Kent Nielsen scored an absolute thunderbolt. The second one, David Platt. As soon as the ball was pushed to Cascarino, Platt made his run. He said. I knew Cascarino wouldn't find me. He says, but I knew Cascarino would just push the ball short to Sid Cowens. And he says, it doesn't matter where I'm at. He says, Sid will find me, whether whether it's with his left foot or his right foot. He will put that ball exactly where he knows I need it. And lo and behold, he does. Sid's, uh, both of Sid's feet, you know, it was like a wand what he could do with that ball. Absolutely. Absolutely. And him... Sid and Platt, you know, they must be two of the closest players to being classed as world class that I've had the fortune to watch at the Villa. The only other one, the only player I would actually put above those in my 50 years watching them would be Paul McGrath. Yeah. He was just... I, I, I can't even... I can't even put words in that he was just out with this world, Paul McGrath. And when I say world-class, Paul, what I mean is I think that I think Paul McGrath would have walked into any club side in the world at that time on his form. Absolutely. I remember talking to Big Ron and uh, when they used to play Manchester United, used to play against Liverpool, uh, Russia never scored against Man United. And Paul McGrath in his unassuming manner used to say, Thank you very much, Mr. Rush. Thank you very much, Mr. Rush. <laughs> you really used to piss me and rush off that, did. Yeah. But that was Paul McGrath. What a player. Yeah. I can see a 90s book on the uh, on the horizon. But we must talk finally about Barton's Army. Different because the 80s, 70s and the 80s, match reports, talking to players, it's got everything about Aston Villa of the 70s and the 80s. Barton's Army is pretty much an account of the supporters, isn't it? I was just looking totally, through. Totally, totally different concept, Paul. Yeah. Richard Absolutely. Sydenham, 
he's, he's in here, I noticed, and Terry Whelan's in there. So a few of my Facebook friends uh, are yeah. in there. There's some wonderful pictures of Villa supporters um, lying down in a, in 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 a, in a state of um, well, worse for wear, shall we say? <laughs> But yeah. there's some some big accounts, and some of them, Keith Foreman here. I'm I'm looking here on page uh, 212, probably just a couple of paragraphs. So you've had so many, and some have got a lot to say, and, and some have oh, yeah. got quite a lot to say. But all of them in this wonderful book, and and great accounts of their memories yeah. of. Uh, They're so diverse. Every one of them. I'll be honest with you. It was it was Dave Lane's idea. This. Yeah. He he knew I went to the final. He knew I missed. Uh, I spent a whole year at agricultural college living in on a farm management course and and I took the time off at the very end to go to Rotterdam to watch the villa in that final yes. and I wasn't allowed to sit my exams that I missed through going to Rotterdam. Blimey. And the principal there, he he really wasn't impressed. But he wasn't he wasn't a football fan, he liked horses. And I actually said to him as I came out the office, he, he sort of berated me like a child. And I said, it's not my fault. I said, you're only interested in things that eat hay and fat. And it didn't go down very well. <laughs> but I never went back anyway, so it didn't make a great deal of difference. I, but, I, love, uh, I love the colour. Sorry to butt in there, but I love the, the, the cover. It's a play on Dad's army, isn't it? Martin's yeah. army. It's fantastic. Well, I can't take the credit for that. It was, it was David, David Lane's... It was David Lane's idea. Yeah, brilliant. The cover was his idea. All I did, I put my words in it, my journey through all the... Only, Even though I only went to the final, I was telling my story of what I was doing and where I was at through all the rounds because I was as big an anorak then as I am now, unfortunately. And the nice thing about this was when Dave suggested it, I wasn't really that keen, to be honest. I was a bit lukewarm because I know somebody who did a book. Uh, he basically got all the fans' memories and stuck them in a book, but he didn't edit them. He didn't change any grammatical errors, so he made a lot of people look a bit stupid. Yeah, got yeah. And that's what was in my mind, and I thought, no, I'm not going down this route. Mm. And Dave Lane said, look, you know, lots of people know you. You know loads of people. Just put it out there. I fired, I fired the idea off to a dozen people. They all come back saying how fantastic it was and in it was born. And it, I'll tell you what, it gathered pace. It, it gathered it gathered quicker than what Tony Morley could move. And that was it fast. was mad. I'm looking through Graham Denton as well, who wrote the book about Ron Saunders. Um, yeah. He's got a, a, an account in there, hasn't yes. he? Yes. We've got some. We've actually got Dean. We've got Dean Smith, yes. our old leader. I noticed that Turnstiles you know? got a, got a piece in there as well, hasn't yeah. he? I'll tell you what. Can you remember the lad who wrote uh, "We're All Going to Rotterdam"? You know that 1982 ditty that uh, Mervyn King used on Desert Island Discs. Yeah. Well, that Doug o, that same Doug O'Brien, he sent pieces, and I'll tell you what. I'm not an academic. I, I write as a as somebody who's totally in love with Aston Villa. Yeah. Doug O'Brien, he loves the Villa no less than me, but the bloke, he is just a, an encyclopedia of history, of geography. His pieces, he's, if you 
did a word count. He's probably got more words in that book than I have, but I couldn't leave any out. I just couldn't leave any out. Fantastic. And Peter Fincher was, as well has got a piece, and Rick Barley. Again, they're members of, uh, of our Facebook groups, etc., etc. Yeah. Um, well, I was told I was told the story of a lad called Lawrence Diggins. Okay. They went to they went to the they went to Berlin in the in the second round. After, just after we'd beaten Valo seven nil on aggregate, we found ourselves going to uh, the other side of the yeah, the, the wall. Yeah. And they got to checkpoint Charlie. This coach load of Villa players, the uh, Villa fans, sorry. And this one lad, they all had to fill in. They all had to fill in forms on this coach. And Lawrence had put place of birth, hospital. And this armed guard had retrieved all these visa cards, took them off the coach, come back on, and he's he's sort of getting a bit animated, saying, you know, this isn't what we mean. And at that at that point, the bus driver put his head down on his arms and went, F and L, we're going to be here for hours. And they were. And then... So I had a few people tell me about this Lawrence Diggins and how they'd christened him Hospital. Yes, I'm I'm on that page, two hundred and twenty-two wow. Lawrence Hospital Diggins. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the one night I got a phone call and this lad said, "Can I speak to Colin?" And I said, it, "This was like eleven o'clock at night." I thought, "Who's phoning me at this time?" And it was this Lawrence Diggins. And as soon as he said his name, Lawrence, I went, "Bloody hell, Hospital!" <laughs> and he started laughing. He says, "He says I haven't heard that for forty years." <laughs> And and he told me the story, and of course we had to have him in. Uh, Dick Edwards, the old Villa centre half, who was there, you know, in the Doherty's era. Yeah. Dick Edwards, the lad who played the guitar. Yeah. He was actually playing a gig in Brussels, <laughs> and five or six reporters came in to cover the Villa game, and this was the final. They'd, they'd stopped in Belgium on the way through to Holland. They recognised Dick Edwards doing this gig with his former Torquay teammate Bruce Stuckey. They got talking and said, come to our hotel and we'll get you tickets for the final. So Dick Edwards, who was an absolute rock in defence for the Villa in his time, he uh, he went to the final. John Holder, who, you know, you'll, that's a name that you'll recognise. He, he runs a Lions club now. I sometimes go to games with John now. Yeah. John... John was running Cheltenham Lions back in the day. Uh, a friend of his, Alan Brookfield, went with him. And John's youngest uh, youngest brother, uh, I think he was 16-year-old or 15-year-old, his name's Martin. He, uh, he couldn't go. So John, I don't know how old John was at the time, but John lent his younger brother the money to go to the final. And you think, wow, you know, yeah. if John hadn't have done that, that lad would have missed out on, to me... And to all these lads, you know, who've got claret and blue eyes, this was bigger than man walking on the moon. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. What a wonderful achievement. Brilliantly put in this. And, and, and it isn't the case of they just do one account extract. Hospitals put quite a few in there. Oh, yeah, all, yeah, all, the the boys are all across Paul, it, yeah. Paul Harvey, yeah. you know, he's a, he's a, he's a friend. Yeah. Paul Harvey went to Valor to... The away game. Yeah, there was as he's walking into the ground. There's there's two two packages of newspapers, and and he took one and put it back on the bus. And his wife Heather was saying that uh, he had 
he basically had 200 programs and I think he's still selling them to this day. <laughs> and that's what I love. It, it's an account of the various games, rounds, and the fans' memories of each and every round, including yeah. the final, isn't it? It's yeah, of absolutely I, I, I know, brilliant. Alan Wilson, great lad. He actually got one of Kenny Swain's socks. A right, left or right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He got he got one of Kenny Swain's socks and uh, Tony Parton, a really really good friend of mine. Tony Parton. He's uh, he's not in the best of health at the minute. Oh dear. Yeah. He he lives in America. He's had a few he's had a few surgeries on his head. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh dear. Tony's father, Reg, he used to be in charge of the press box at Villa Park in the 1960s. Yeah. So Tony was a the, the surname Parton was a name that was recognisable to me from years and years ago. Now I got to meet Tony when I was doing the I was doing the research for Encounters of the Third Kind, and I was able to go and interview our reserve team coach from the third division days, a gentleman by the name of Leo Crowther. Right. Lovely bloke. He was. He was the reserve team coach when Vic Crow and Ron Wiley looked after first team affairs, you know? Yeah. And then you had Frank Upton, who was like the fourth in the in the pyramid, and it was him that got the Villa to FA Youth Cup winners against Liverpool in 72. Absolutely, and he changed Brian Little's position to an inside forward. That's right. Upton, but, but Leo, mm. uh, I went to interview Leo. He had a beautiful house in these grounds and the the main house it was like something that you would you know you, you need a lottery up to get something like that and leo took me into this house i didn't know who lived it well he said it was his daughter's house right i didn't know that his daughter maureen had married this tony parton very very successful bloke right. but i'm i'm in the house leo's shown me all these wonderful one-off things of aston villa in this house and then this bloke appeared, and he's like, he's, he didn't say it, but he's probably thinking, what the hell is this? <laughs> and and I felt a bit, I felt a bit uncomfortable, and I'm thinking he's going to take Leo's head off here. <laughs> and uh, I witted something about, I write books on Aston Villa or something lame, and yeah. but me and Tony became great friends, and he's one of very, very few people He's actually got every single bound volume of Aston Villa. And I don't think there's many people on this planet that have them. Unbelievable accounts. And finally, Chapter 6, the Super Cup. So it's not just winning the European Cup and accounts of winning the European Cup. It's uh, There's a chapter of when Aston Villa won the Super Cup. And there's a lovely picture in there of Tony Barton celebrating with Villa coach and sadly no longer with us, uh, Roy, yeah. Roy McLaren. So uh, That's right. rest in peace to Roy, another halt ender yeah. in the sky, sir. Well, that, that only went in because I'd actually, I was working on a farm and I was actually trying to sell my Ford Capri to finance going to Tokyo because no way on earth did I want to miss out on watching Aston Villa become the best club side in the world. Yes. Unfortunately, they didn't do it, and unfortunately, I didn't sell my car. <laughs> you know, nowadays, a Capri would be called a classic. Believe me, it wasn't a classic in them <laughs> days. And I couldn't sell it in time. Uh, I did have to have, I had to have surgery on an accident that I sustained on the farm, so I probably wouldn't have been able to travel to Tokyo anyway. I did make do with going to see the Villa. The Villa played Arsenal 
on the Tuesday night, the game brought forward from the Saturday with the Villa going to Tokyo. Yeah. And what I did find out, the Villa were actually paid £40,000 for taking part in the World Club Championships. Okay. It's not a lot when you think no. about it, when you think what these players yeah. are on now. Now, with the Villa playing Arsenal on the Tuesday night, Arsenal had said to Aston Villa, if we played you on the Saturday, we'd get 25000 yeah. So anything under 25000 yeah. you're going to compensate for to us. Mm. Now, the crowd was 17000 and it actually cost the Villa £20,000 for having that did, game played it was 60 on the grand. Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. it so is. you got twenty grand for going to Tokyo instead of forty. <laughs> and I think the players shared some of that out. Unbelievable. Some brilliant encounters there. And uh, yeah. the Villa Roll of Honour. And just before that on page 252, a wonderful picture. Book author Colin Abbott with Dennis Mortimer at Villa Park and the picture yes. there of Dennis and Tony. And uh, what a brilliant book. You must be so very proud of yourself, Cole, and your wonderful football club. And we will meet up again and uh, do another uh, podcast talking about your books going forward. It's been an absolute pleasure and an honour. Thanks, Paul. Uh, talking about your wonderful books, Barton's Army and the Aston Villa, the big book of the uh, 80s alongside the 70s and the first 150 years. You and David Lane, a match made in heaven, sir. Thank you very much. And Thanks very much, Paul. Sorry for not giving you time to talk. God Take bless. care, Paul. Thanks, pal. Bye for now. Ta-ra. Bye-bye. <laughs> What a tremendous, what a tremendous chat with Colin. And Colin, as he said there, he's got a new book coming out anytime soon about Villa in the eighties. With Legends Publishing, David Lane is doing that. Very similar to the seventies book that Colin brought out a few years ago, and right. also his book Barton's Army, which yeah. sits nicely alongside the Full Morty because it tells the fans' stories of Aston Villa's triumph on that balmy night in May at Rotterdam Stadium, where Villa become European champions. And, you know, I suppose Villa fans will say, we don't do it the easy way. After a few (laughs) minutes, Jimmy Rimmer goes off, and Dennis had said to me, we looked over, thought, where's he going? (laughs) And then Spinky comes on in goal against Bayern Munich, and uh, by his own words, I'll, I'll kind of, calm it down a bit he was cacking himself when he went on. <laughs> I, I bet he was that's and a great book though isn't it about Barnes to Army great book absolutely yeah. it's another one that I've got in my collection that I haven't read but it is a great <laughs> book I love all these books I, I just love the way that the books have you know years ago before I started reading books although I don't really read many books as you know yeah I used to like the paperbacks but now I'd never yeah. buy a paperback it's got to be a hardback a hard cover, yeah. and uh, there's just something, something of beauty with uh, yeah. hard books and hard backs, and something of beauty as well. I'm going to go back. You can have a couple of picks now. It's your turn, but just do want to give a mention to the cup. I know it came out last year, a pictorial yes. celebration of the world's greatest football tournament, 150 years by Richard Whitehead. I have had the pleasure of Richard's company, and we have made yeah. a podcast about his book, The Cup. Uh, a big Villa supporter, and uh, he did tell me about when uh, he walked up uh, Trinity Road going towards the Holt End when they 
got mm. drawn against Southampton in the FA Cup in 1976. And his dad always used to say to him, whoever beats Villa wins the Cup. And that year he was right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I would just go back to that, the Barton's Army book, kind of thing. So obviously, you've not read the read it book, but there's great photos in that. Uh, I remember some of the images. I mean, there's, there's one, um, like you've got the fans mixing in the streets, haven't you, um, yeah. before the final. And there's one I remember that um, with the police. And I can remember, vaguely remember one of them, you know, took the police's hat off and, you know, he's wearing it, etc. It's all that kind of, uh, you know, that nostalgia and all that. But no, great book. And uh, just going back to the Full Morty as well, that new book that's come out, because it's yeah. one that I wanted to pick out as well, because I've been sent a copy of it. So um, I, I, know, I forgot that he also played for Birmingham late in his career, didn't he? Yeah, he got um, You know, yeah, yeah. So before he, he became play manager at Redditch, Redditch United as well. Yeah. So, uh yeah, and he was born in Liverpool. I don't know. I just assumed, you know, when um, I don't know, I assumed he was a Brummie. Have you never <laughs> listened to in. Dennis? <laughs> yeah, well, until yeah, well, you, well, until you listen to him, yeah, yeah. Um, and you realise, of course. So, uh, but um, yeah, born in Liverpool, of course, wasn't he? So, mad, uh, mad when, yeah. Liverpool supporter. In yeah. one of the podcasts, Dennis was talking about <laughs> going and watching Liverpool up at uh, up at Hampden Park in a European yeah. uh, Cup game. And he was saying how, how poor Hamden Park was. But he's got some great memories. He used to go and collect all the autographs of all the Villa, uh, Villa players, the Liverpool players when he was a kid. And then, of course, um, many years after with Coventry and then Villa, he, he was playing against them. And certainly for, for Coventry, uh, Gordon Milne was the manager. Um, yeah. Uh, who, who replaced Noel Campwell, who, who gave him his, his, his debut. Um and in St John, of course, was at, yeah. uh, at Coventry for some time as well. So a few years ago, Dennis was collecting autographs of these heroes of his, and then he was teammates, and he was working for one of them as uh, as his boss. So football, you know, it, it is great that that kid there that grew up in Kirby, played for Kirby yeah. Boys, in the same team as Kenny Swain as well. So as Kirby yeah. Boys playing uh, with, with Kenny... All those years later, won the European Cup with the same Kenny Swain that they uh, <laughs> played with. And uh, Dennis didn't realise that he'd swapped shirts, Kenny, and he uh, he found that out later and said, I'm going to have a word with him. Why, do, why would he swap shirts <laughs> with a Bayern player? But but you did in those days. They still yeah. do, of course. Maradona and um, Steve Hodge swap shirts. Well, I'm yeah. not convinced that Maradona wanted Hodge's shirt, but Hodge definitely <laughs> wanted Maradona's. And it, it went for a yeah, lot of money. Yeah. Yeah, I, I recalled um, Dennis Morty still trying to trace down his his shirt from the European Cup final, actually. Oh, okay. um, yeah, I'm sure I've read that. I was either in the synopsis or somewhere in the book, I've read it somewhere. He's still trying to track down that, his shirt from the 1982, uh, yeah, from the final. So uh, I don't think he's ever found it. So um, I definitely read it somewhere about yeah. Dennis Morty. Because yeah. when, when he lifted the cup, he still had the Aston Villa yeah. top on. Um, and if you notice, he's minus the beard yeah. when he's lifting yeah. the cup. When he lifts the championship a year previously in, in May, yeah. early May, he's got the beard. Because what yeah. Dennis used to do is wear the beard through the season... As soon as the season was finished and the weather got a little bit warmer, he shaved the beard off. He used to, he, he used to have the beard just for a bit more warmth around his mouth. 
<laughs> Excellent. Yeah. I do sometimes as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, lot, lots of us do, and we're lucky. Uh, females yeah. haven't got the same benefits as us, but there you no. go, that's another matter. <laughs> but shaving is a pain in the backside, isn't it? So, it you is. know, especially when that six o'clock alarm rings and you get up, you wipe the sleep out of your eyes, the last thing you want to do is go <laughs> in the bathroom and have a shave. Exactly. Yeah, we do in the summer, but not in the winter. What else have you got for us, sir? Well, keeping on a a kind of localist theme, uh, there's a book I've just received um, called A Marriage Made in Football. It's the story of Graham and Jane Hawkins. So Graham uh, Hawkins, yeah, he spent his life working in football. He was born in Darlston, uh, and he was signed by the legendary Stan Cullis uh, at Wolves at uh, age 16. Mm. And he went on and he played and he scouted and he managed uh, his boyhood club as well. Uh, and so the book is, yeah, his life in football. Uh, and he went on to play for Preston North End. He made over 200 appearances. Then Blackburn Rovers made over 100 appearances. And also at Port, Port Vale. But the book itself, it's, been, it's written by... I think it's his daughter-in-law. Oh, okay. Yeah, Kirsty Hawkins is the author's name. Uh, so yeah, told by daughter-in-law Kirsty. Yeah, uh, tells the stories. So, uh, but football took him all around the world, and he was never alone. Uh, his wife Jane, who always supported him until Jane no longer had Graham by his side. Uh, but this is this is a story. So yeah, a great story about someone that's um, yeah travelled the world. He even managed. Um, in um, Bahrain, um, okay. and uh, yeah, and I think he had to finish there because of the uh, Iraq invasion of Kuwait in 1990. So uh, right. yeah, very well travelled. But yeah, that's a new book that's just come out, uh, The Marriage Made in Football. So uh, I will be sharing. It. I've not yet shared it on my socials. I've only just um, received a copy of it, but uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to reading that one. Uh, but you know the name. I've certainly seen that somewhere mm. because I've uh, I, I am aware of that. In fact, on my Gabby Cabby Twitter account, uh, she's just started following me today. Ah, well, there I, you I, go. I, I don't get these books like you. I mean, you are so <laughs> famous. You, you, my football books yeah. come are so famous. Well, I, I must admit, it's, it's been amazing over, over, the, over the last couple of. Um, not pretty long but that. So the last six months, the, the I get inundated with requests, which is absolutely brilliant, really great. Yeah. It just shows the uh, yeah, the appeal of the website, which is just mind blowing. I still sometimes can't quite get my head around it. But yeah, so yeah, obviously found out about myself. And one thing I just said is all the profits uh, from this book go to Head for Change, a charity supporting former players and the families um, blighted by dementia, etc. So, uh, but yeah, so that's marriage made in football. I'll share more about it on. On um, um, yeah, on the socials and on the website in the coming uh, days and weeks. Yeah, fabulous. There's so many wonderful stories, isn't there, in there football? Is. You know, and and stories that football have has, has made and lives that football has given to so many yeah. people. You know, not just in this country but globally. And when you look at it, they just it is. I just don't think there's any other game like football. There's that. There's yeah. just there's a romance, isn't there, with football? You know, I remember when I did a podcast with uh, Paul Fletcher and I said to him, what was the most prized possession that you got out of the game? And he had to think about it and he said, my wife. You know, yeah. I went, yeah. we'd 
I think they got beaten. One of his mates was saying, come on, Fletch, come for a drink. And he said, no, no, I want to go home. And, and he said, no, no, come on, just go and have one, then you can go home. And he, he, he bumped in and met his <laughs> missus. He, he knew of it. He used to walk past her. I think, he was, I think she was a hairdresser, if I remember oh, rightly. Really? And, um, and, yeah, so he actually finally got to talk to her, and then they eventually got married. But, you know, football just yeah. is. You know, when people see the one side of football, they don't see that that romantic side of football and you know there, there are so many stories and, and and brilliant that you've got the website etc and your socials and you're promoting all these and and you're teaching me things mate because i look <laughs> at your socials and i go oh i didn't know that book i'll have a look at that book but well um, yeah absolutely and, and it feels like that's quite a good linkage to the next one because uh, he reached out to me and he's uh, uh the author is called james brown uh, and uh, he's based out in uh, in America, uh, and he's just come out. Is it sorry? Is he a Leeds fan? Is it that James? Oh, Brown? I don't know. No, I don't think it's the same one that probably you're thinking of. Okay. Uh, well, he might he may well support Leeds, um, but it's a book that's come out through Pitch. It's called Mud, Blood, and Studs, and it's uh, one family's legacy in soccer and rugby across three continents. Right. Uh, and so, so, yeah, it's a really quite unique, special story, but it's about uh, his whole family. Um, so it's, I'm reading a bit from synopsis here, but an alcoholic father abandons his family in Troon, Scotland. He sells for America, and against all the odds, his offspring is four boys. And uh, basically, the family tree then is just incredible. So he's got the, you know, his family, the well-known footballers, uh, played at Manchester United. Uh, the kids have gone on then to... Um, through other families gone on to play for South Africa and the rugby it's just all the great stories from one generation to the next and it's really expanded it's like remarkable you know just how it's grown and it's uh, yeah it's called Mud, Blood and Studs Uh, and uh, again it's a great looking book as well so uh, on the front cover Um, but yeah it's quite again it just links to what you were talking about in terms of that family connection Mm -hmm. and uh, James Brown is um, the son of the original uh, Jimmy Brown, who's the first character in this book, which I think is his great granddad, etc. I think uh, great granddad, I think it is. So, but yeah, really interesting read. So, uh, but again, a lesser known story you wouldn't know until you read it and went, oh, well done. Yeah, there's no one knows some of the names. There's Jimmy Brown, a youth team captain at, at Villa in the seventies. I'm sure he's from Scotland. Hmm. Well, well, yeah. He, he said he. 1932, he signed for Manchester United and then later for Spurs. I'm not sure if anyone in between the line he made a play in the Villa. No, I've not read it as of yet. Yeah, no, it might be another Curran, one. But, uh, Terry Curran's also yeah. their family uh, rugby players and um, footballers. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's, a, there's a mixture there of rugby and football in Curran's uh, Well, band. yeah. Yeah, well, if you go back to right to the start of football, if you want to go back to the Victorian days, it's very linked to uh, rugby. Um, so uh, there's lots of books around that as well. The the the, the very much the origins of football has its linkage to uh, rugby. And while we're so, talking, uh, Terry Curran, Sheffield was the place, and the mm. uh, the rules that they adopted that really grew out of yeah. rugby, didn't they? And football took a, a different a different path. Yeah. Do you yeah, like rugby? Absolutely. I I could watch it. Yeah, I could watch it. Rugby Union. Yeah, yeah. I don't mind watching Six Nations. Uh, sometimes like the Lions. Yeah, I'm not massive. Yeah, I could watch it, but uh, mm. yeah, I could probably watch it in the background, let's say. Yeah, so, I uh, tend to turn it off. I do. I'm not a great rugby fan. <laughs> just just yeah. football. 
I mean, any other yeah. sport. If it's on, I might watch. But it just but mind you, the way football's going at the moment, it's boring me. But I'm liking watching <laughs> the women. I do like to watch the women play yeah. football. I think there's some really skillful young girls that we've got uh, playing yeah. football. Uh, Jess Park is the uh, the latest one that I've noticed. Uh, plays for yeah. Everton, scored a great goal the weekend against Liverpool in the Merseyside derby. And uh, yeah. I'm alone from Manchester City. So, um, so yeah, I just look at it and I just think, wow. And going back to um, the history uh, press, their boys and girls, and yeah. I always say girls because there are girls, I'm sure, that work in these uh, publishing houses. Um, isn't the greatest game coming out? Holland and yeah. Holland, Hungary versus England. That's yeah. going to be a new and another take, isn't it, on that infamous yeah. game of the century? Yeah, absolutely. Written by a, a gentleman called Matt Clough, uh, who's uh, author of other books as well, including he did the uh, biography of Nat Lofthouse. Oh, did um, really? Yeah, he did. Yeah, Nat Lofthouse, England's Lion of Vienna, uh, is the subtitle of that book called Lofty. It's just simply called Lofty. Uh, yeah, he wrote that. Um, he wrote that biography. Um, and yeah, his that book's coming out. Yeah, Match of the Century, England Hungary. And the game that changed football forever. So it looks a fantastic read. It's going to come out in November. And again, yeah, from History Press. And everyone knows about that game, don't they? So um, yeah. on 25th of November, 1953. It was- Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. It was called the... Um, um, the newspapers called it the match of the century before it even begun. But by the time it was over, yeah, it's um, 60 years on. It's uh, There's something about that. It's, yeah, it's a, such a well-known game and story. Yeah, and, and the brains behind the uh, Hungarian performance, of course, with Jimmy mm. Hogan. Uh, yeah. Uh, Puska says of, uh, of Jimmy, Uncle Jimmy. Yeah. He... Uh, you know, he taught us everything that we knew about football. And it was good yeah. of Sebes, who was the uh, the infamous coach manager of the Hungarian team. I've read quite a few books about the magical Magyars because uh, yeah. I, I am quite, I wouldn't say obsessed, but I'm very, very interested in stuff like that and certainly with the Hungarians. So I'm looking forward to uh, do, looking at that book, reading that book and cutting a podcast with, uh, with Mr. Clough as well. Yeah. Yeah, excellent. Well, I look forward to listening to it. No, it looks a great read. Great read. Again, great publishing company as well. Yeah. History Press. There's there's just so many brilliant... I mean, you mentioned Pitch, History Press there, um, David Lane with uh, Legends Publishing, 
of course, yeah. doing Collins books. There's loads of loads of brilliant publishers and magazines, etc. And 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 like yeah. you know, let's pay homage to to the writers because without people like that doing that, we wouldn't be reading about things that went on back in the day. Football. I've always said this. Football, and and I don't mean the fans and, and yeah. football, football. I mean the authorities, and um, yeah. in particular Sky that stole the soul of football. They mm. are the only people that actually don't recognise history. And when yeah. Sky do do some historic programmes, uh, I, I, it actually turns my stomach because they yeah. always, always forget. A match of the day. Don't get me started with match of the day. They should change their name. It isn't the match of the day, and I don't see how and why public money from the public purse should be paid to prop up and give a uh, a public relations broadcast for the most richest league in the world. I think it's an absolute disgrace. How they've got yeah. away with it for years, I just don't know. But it just <laughs> does show that there's no backbone with our politicians and I ain't even going to start on that Gary Neville because he is very selective in what he does and what he says and I've not heard him or anybody else when they're looking at football and the greed of football it starts with Europe and the European competitions and the Super League as I call it not the Champions League it filters down from that so they want to they they want to have a go at the little bits and pieces that they want to have a go at because yeah. it publicly the sound bites gives him votes. I, I just don't like that. If I met him, it's probably we get on, but I just don't like where he comes from and how he selects the little bits and pieces that he wants to drive yeah. that narrative forward. You won't be buying his new book then. It's just come out. Gary Neville. He just brought a no. book out called The People's Game. No, I wouldn't. Uh, Sometimes a view of the front seat in football. But yeah. going back to the Super League bit, I just I, I find it incredible that it's um, you know how did, did you if you remember the uproar during the pandemic, wasn't it? You know, um, suddenly you know everyone's against the idea, but they've they, they kind of changed it in the background. It's still it's still very much prevalent, but. Um, there's now going to be this. Um, they, they, it's based on the history of the clubs where they'll get automatic qualification into this Champions League. But the history is only based on the last 30 years, not based on, you know, your Villa of the '82 Forest mm. uh, and you know further back. It's based, it's going on, to be Champions based on history, not European yeah, Champions League Champions history. Champions League history. So like, no, no, what kind yeah. of history is that? It's like. It's almost, I mean, no, it's nothing like the Germans with the propaganda. Uh, they destroyed lots of records of, of the past, and in particular Jewish, and there was a Jewish team that they actually yeah. destroyed all the records, and then they didn't exist. But, you know, on, <laughs> on a much smaller scale, that's pretty much the avenue yeah. that these people are going down. Well, yeah. let's do it on historical achievements. All right, then, yeah. yeah, let's go back to the uh, 50s. No, no, no. Our historical achievement starts with the Champions League. Well, that ain't <laughs> bleeding history, is it? You can't yeah. just pick a period of time and say, we're going to be just looking at history 30 years when the football it, game's been going for 150 bloody years. I know. 
and I, I'm not that I class myself as a football historian, but I, you know, I've read a lot of football books, and it's well, it's always interesting when you look at the last thirty years. The, the, there's been times in, um, you know, go back to Victorian times, the, uh, the rise of football, 60s and 70s, especially the 70s, of course, as you, as an era that was, yeah, magical era. Yeah. But at that time, there was still uh, a recognition that it was still to be play, uh, kept within a certain area. And what I mean is not to go too far. Uh, and um, I don't know how to sometimes I have to put it, but the, the modern-day football is they're just as a bandwagon of making money of it of and trying it to change it. And the top clubs, every club, if you go for all the years, think of Huddersfield, even going back to the 1920s, they won uh, uh, back-to-back leagues kind of thing. But they didn't, they didn't uh, change the rules to suit them at that time. No mm. club has changed the rules, but they are doing it now because they recognise how much money can be made from it. And then, uh, then you can bring in VAR, because that uh, doesn't, you, we can't afford mistakes anymore by referees, etc. It just then ruins the whole experience for me. Um, it's my first time of watching VAR live very recently. Oh, that's great. Uh, you know, in the ground, and it was just uh, bizarre. I don't know how even how to explain it. It just didn't feel. I don't know who was. It's like us watching it at the game. Mm. Who's more important, the people who who are outside of the grounds at home watching it on the telly, or us? It's very strange, you know, but um, I'll tell anyway, you, I'll tell you who's most important. I could go off on one. <laughs> I'll tell you who's most important, the ones sitting at home watching football. And not yeah, the ones yeah. in this country, the ones in, yeah. in Asia. Them are the yeah. ones that they want to tap into that market. They get Which, more money from overseas broadcast rights than what they do from, from UK broadcast rights. No, it's fine. I don't actually don't. I'm getting a bit spread around the, the world coming. You know, it's politics. So it's great for the game of football. But yeah. don't uh, suddenly cut everyone else off because you're doing well at it. You can't now have a piece of the pie. Yeah. Because uh, now we're in it. We're making you know, the clubs of that. Uh, yeah. Anyway, there you go. It is an absolute <laughs> disgrace. Could go off. It is an absolute <laughs> disgrace. The more money that comes into the game, the more cheaper it should be for the fans. Yeah. That's what it yeah, should be. Absolutely. And VAR. Well, there's actually nothing wrong with the VAR. It's the idiots that are using it. They can't use the yeah. technology. They don't know what they're doing. That's the yeah. problem. When you're at a football yeah. game, I've been down Villa Park when goals have been scored and all of a sudden, hang on, it's chalked off. What the bloody yeah. hell's going on here? I mean, <laughs> and, and we've said on podcasts with, uh, with Teddy when it first came out, they're going to cause a riot one of these days yeah. on a really, yeah. really important issue where... You know, promotion is gained, or 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 you've gone, uh, got relegated, yep. or you know, to win the league, etc., or in a contentious decision, at, you know, yep. at the final hurdle in the last game in the night. Imagine Aguero when he scored that yeah. goal, and they're all yeah. going wild. And they're going, hang on, we're going to VAR. <laughs> it's cancelled yeah. now. There was an offside two minutes no, earlier. Yeah, I know it's ridiculous, it, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> or, or somebody tripped somebody up in the build-up, so your goals disallowed. There would yeah. have been carnage, and one of those days yeah. there will be, because these clowns that run football don't know how <laughs> to run the game. And, yeah. you know, yeah. when you're looking at the Super League and you're looking at the way football and too many games make all competitions in Europe knockouts, keep the League Cup, keep the FA Cup, keep the game yeah. as it is in this country, because we're actually playing less domestic games than we've ever played in any yeah. era, yeah. in any decade yeah. ever. But you never hear these muppets and puppets 
that they give a microphone to. So when a manager or a Gary Neville and they're all going on about, you know, about the game and how it needs to change, yeah, well, can we change it from the Champions League? Because that's where yeah. that's where all the ill starts from the very top. No, well, no, the root no. all root, root all evil is the money, isn't it? And this season, you could not you could not get a better example of where the World Cup is. You know, in this in this you know, and being a bang middle in the normal season for everyone else, and that's literally all about money. So whatever you say, well, not like not like the is. World Cups in the seventies. Blood on a crossbar, oh. for instance, the dictatorship yes. World Cup by Reese Richard. <laughs> <laughs> yes, great pullback. Yeah, absolutely. Let's get back to the let's get back to the good old days. So uh, that's a fantastic. There's great books coming out around this time as well, yeah. with the World Cup coming on the on the horizon. And uh, yeah, Reese um, Richards, isn't it? So yeah. blood on the crossbar. So uh, not again, like the World Cup pitch. was ever bought, eh? In the seventies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The, the Argentinian hunter or junter or whatever you used to call them. Bodies yeah. going missing and ending up in the River Plate. Um, <laughs> games of football that they needed to win 6-0 to qualify. And guess what? They won 6-0 and qualified. They yeah. did. Nothing, nothing bad that ever went on in the 70s in World Cups. Yeah. Um, yeah. And another book I do briefly want to mention here, From Beauty to Duty, a football yeah. history uh, of Uruguay, 1878 to 1917. So, from the birth to the First World War by Martin de Cruz. So yeah. two books there from um, from South America. One looks as though he's got a South American name, but the other one sounds like a taff. Yes, it does. Oh, yeah. Bruce Richard. Yeah. What do you know about yeah. either book? Have you read them? Have you? I know I've seen you no. promoting them. Yeah, yeah, not not as yeah. Well, the Beauty for Duty doesn't come out. To, it comes out next Monday actually. The one on the. Um, Football history of Uruguay, so yeah, uh, um, yeah I'm sure it'll be landing uh, with me at some stage. But uh, it's a great story. Again, I've, I've read the synopsis, synopsis of the book, and it's um, uh, well, it's the, the early Euro- Olympic World Cup triumphs, isn't it, yeah. of Uruguay? So, um, but it looks a fascinating story. But I don't know anything about the the author Martin de, de la Cruz, uh, apart from I know he's a football historian. Um, yeah, and it's just interesting. I love the I love these again these kind of ones that go back to the history, uh, the origins, etc. It's great for another great looking front cover on that particular one yeah, as well. Great. I love it's both the, of them. The stands, yeah, mm. and then it's all the flat caps, etc. The people watching the game. So uh, yeah, that could be an image. That could be an image in Villa, uh, Birmingham, uh, London, but it's Uruguay. It's the same same image, isn't it? And I just yeah. love that kind of. Football is yes yeah, same anywhere in the world when you break it down. Uh, certainly in those days, so it's a great image. Yeah, looking forward to that. And, and another one that's coming out related to the book one you've probably got on your list is the nineteen seventy Brazil team. I thought you were going to say that. I was just going to say yeah. that before you <laughs> you jumped in and beat me to the to the word. Yeah, <laughs> say his yeah. name there, clever bugger. <laughs> yeah, say his name. Yeah. Say his name. The fella that wrote the book. You say his name. I'll let you do this. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, not, I can. Yeah, not I'll, Samandra. Uh, not Samandra. The other one. Yeah, yeah, yes. It's that one, isn't it? So it starts with a K. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Samandra Conti. Yeah, What's that's it. That's name? a good word. I mean, like, isn't it? he's got to be foreign. He must be. Foreign. He, I would have thought so. <laughs> you know, I don't know anything about the author. Do you? 
I know quite a lot uh, about the how the Brazil team won the seventy World Cup and the beautiful team and again a beautiful cover. Yeah, no, absolutely. And what a team that is. Um, are you, he's a regular con- contributor to World Soccer, the BBC, right, okay. uh, and um, he's fe- he features in the Blizzard. Um, you're oh. probably familiar with that. Yeah, Jonathan so, uh, yeah. That's yeah. it. That's it. That group there. So uh, yeah, it, I have come across his name before as well. So I think it's his first book. I might be wrong, but I, I'm pretty sure it's his first book. Chris, I don't recall it. Is Chris Lee or has Chris Lee got another book out or coming out? He has. He yeah. has. And uh, and I think without trying to repeat ourselves, kind of, now if you want to see a book cover, yeah, uh, yeah. I think this one knocks it out of the, the park. It really does. Um, it's called the Defiance. It's the history of football against fascism, fascism. Uh, and it comes out yeah, in a couple of weeks. That's Chris Lee from the outside right. Uh, wonderful front cover. It really is. It's something, it's quite simple imagery. Uh, whoever's designed it, yeah, it's going to get in a lot of sales just by the look of the cover. But yeah, that's a good, um, got some great readers coming out. He's a great podcaster, is Chris Lee. Yeah, he is. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Uh, not... Just going back to that 97 Brazil, sorry, I was just going to say. Um, 97 Brazil yeah, what, team? What, what, yeah. 97, what, what 97 Brazil team? Yeah, yeah. The, 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 it's, I think it was called the Brazil, um, when it first came out, or it's been promoted, it was called the Beautiful Team. But it's now, uh, I think they changed the title of the name to 1970 Brazil. Oh, I, said, um, I, thought you said, but... I thought you said 97. I did, yeah. Now, I just, I you what, what, what 97? <laughs> Where are you going? That was pre pre France. That must have been Le Tournoi when Bartes picked the ball out of the back of there. I thought, what the hell's going on here? What's a crowd go wild for? The fraudulent slip. 1970s, what I meant yeah. then. Apologies then, I forgot that right. But uh, what a great World Cup that was. But yeah, getting held in Mexico, wasn't it? So uh, Yeah, a bit too young uh, to remember and... that World Cup, if I'm honest. I was born in 64, so I would have been yeah. five at the time, because I was born in November. <laughs> I mean, five. I don't really remember it that well, but Gordon Banks was my first football hero, so possibly it was that save against Brazil. Yeah, but yeah. With, again, with the beauty of being able to research, watch on YouTube, yeah. look at the you know the goals that the Brazilians scored, and that goal from Carlos Alberto, arguably one of the yeah. greatest. I would say that goal and Maradona's were the two greatest goals that I've seen. Um, yes, recorded. Yeah, I'm not saying that because you know there's been a lot of goals scored that have never been recorded, but those yeah. two that were recorded, I think, was probably the best two that I've ever seen. And yeah. the Brazil, how Brazil won the 1970 World Cup by Samindra Kunti or Kunte or however you say yeah. his name. But, and, um, it their, and it was their third title, which basically allowed them to, to keep the Jules Rimet trophy yeah, as it was, it was then. Yeah. Yeah. Permanent, they permanently kept it. Obviously, the now World Cup, as it looks, came in 1974. Yes, it did. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, while we're talking about books, let's give a shout out to Gary Thacker's book, um, that wonderful uh, These Football Times. Uh, Gary does a, yeah. a great job. His, uh, his latest book is, of course, uh, Chelsea in 2012 when uh, they went and won the uh, European Cup. They won the FA Cup and the European Cup, Champions yeah. League, as it was back then, of course. Um, and he's got a book coming out in 
next year, I think, about Ajax in the 70s. So that's going to be a fantastic read. But beautiful bridesmaids dressed in orange with yeah. Gary's book. So we've got there the beautiful team out of Brazil won it in 70. Gary's book mm. about the 1974 Holland team. And then 1978 yeah. Blood on the Crossbar. And then, of course, uh, Stuart Horsfield um, yeah. wrote that great book uh, about Brazil in 1982 as well. So, you know, that pretty much the the World Cups of my lifetime. The first one, yeah, OK, I don't remember that much. But then 1986, and then we had Italian 90. 94, yeah. we didn't qualify. But there's pretty much a book about all the World Cups. And there's yeah. a recent book that's come out about the 1994 World Cup I've seen promoted on your uh, website and uh, socials. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's very popular as well. So, no, I've got the book as well. So, USA 94 yeah. um, by Matthew Evans. Okay. Um yeah, so uh, he's 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 written extensively. I've, I've seen a lot of his writing. I think he's he's wrote in the, these football times and also Nutmeg magazine. Oh, okay, yeah. Familiar with that? It's um, it's more of a Scottish based. I was going to um, say Scottish, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. I think it's linked with uh, oh, one of my favourite authors. Um, oh my goodness, his name's gone completely out of my head. It'll come back to me in a minute for Nutmeg as well. Um, Don't think about it. If you don't think about it, it'll really yeah. come too quickly. It's, yeah. it's almost as though you know, like you're playing for Forest. It's Monday night, yeah. you're playing in the in the game. That, Monday night yeah. football, the balls come through to you, Andy Satchwell. You're in on it's goal. The Leicester City goalkeeper is coming out to you. You're composed <laughs> and you just stick it in the onion bag. When you get out about it, it goes over and then it's up the River Trent. Although this yeah. game, I think he's played at um, Leicester, so it would be one hell of a bad shot to end up in the Trent from Leicester. It it would, yeah, it was, and uh, that's uh, uh, author is Daniel Gray. So yeah. Daniel Gray is wrote a number of excellent books, and he's got another one coming out soon, actually. But uh, that, that I went off um, USA '94, yeah, is an excellent book. Again, out of through pitch, that came out recently. Um, yeah. Another memorable World Cup as well for different reasons. Obviously, one that uh, England didn't play at, which is no, uh, we didn't. I love the picture of the front cover of this book as well. Uh, Get shirty, the rise oh, great. fall of Admiral Sportswear by Andy Wells. Yeah, yeah, well, excellent. Back in the seventies, it was a small Midlands underwear uh, firm. It was uh, under underwear firm. Yeah, chain. Change football, didn't they? When they won the contract for England's kit supplier, Admiral. I think that was uh, David uh, Don Reavy, wasn't it? In some back end. Yes. Yeah. If I'm honest. Yeah. No, it's a brilliant. Look, I've got that book. So uh, it's based on the. It was a popular ITV documentary, Get Shirty. Oh, okay. uh, uh, yeah. So it's um, the writer director, Andy Wells. Yeah. Definitive, lavishly illustrated account of the untold Admiral story. It's just brilliant. Brilliant book and uh, just a nostalgic trip down memory lane. Uh, and now another great author, I should get to say, Conquer Editions. They do a num- yeah. number of books. Um, uh, they they the got um, they did uh, got not got football books, yep. which uh, you might be familiar with, the Lost World of Football series. Loads of them, aren't there? Them yeah. not gots and there is. Mm. Yeah, yeah, the great ones. 
which neatly ties me into one I would like to mention for Conquer Editions as well um, that I shared recently called Black and White Stripes. And okay. it's the greatest collection, the greatest collection of Newcastle United uh, match-worn shirts. So um, there's, there's an amazing, you ever go on the internet, it's amazing how many people love football shirts and collect football shirts, etc. Um, but flicking, you don't necessarily need to be a Newcastle fan, but flicking through, you recognise some of the shirts and uh, going right back to the 60s and Bomboka, um in the 1970s, etc. Um, yeah, it's a great little book. Um, of uh, match worn shirts, and that's again out through Conquer Editions, uh, written by Gay- Gavin Hay. So, um, with the is. shirts, does it just show you the picture, or are there stories behind the picture of the match worn shirts? How do the dynamics work in this book? Yeah, so the way we do it, they pick out, it's a good, yeah, so they pick out, so for example, I'll just flick through it, uh, one in particular, you've got Warren Barton, so you've got, the sh- you've got a particular shirt. Uh, this is from the 1998-99 Cup Winners' Cup. And so basically it's a story, it's a picture of the shirt and then a little bit of a story about that particular shirt and linking it to the, the player who wore it. Yeah. So that particular one's Warren Barton. And if I flick through back, if you go back to, um, well, there's Moncur. Yeah, so Bob Moncur. It's got uh, him uh, in 1973-74 when they were in Division One. Uh, and a picture again of a shirt that he wore, and then a little bit of a story around that shirt as well, and that season. So it's a great way of linking history mm. back to the shirt because shirts so, tell you so much, don't they? There's lots of iconic shirts out there. Uh, some of the shirts you look at nowadays, they're a bit uh, outlandish, aren't they? But we, when you keep it nice and simple, some of them, yeah, simple's best. Yeah, we uh, <laughs> we we spoke about that in the podcast this week with Terry. Yeah. And, uh, All right. Yeah, some of the, I mean, the England shirt, for instance, it looks like a training top. Manchester City's top these yeah. days looks like a training top, but they yeah. were iconic shirts back in the day. Yeah. Again, yeah. something else in football that isn't as good today as what it was back then is the football shirts. And taking it back to Admiral, iconic shirts. And uh, Cocker Hoop is a book that's um, that's come out, written by David. Cocker and the other fella's name escapes me, but um, it's about Les Cocker, isn't it? So whenever you think about yep. Don Reaver, you all automatically think about Les Cocker as well. Yep. Very instrumental in the um, well in the glory days of of Leeds yep. United, and certainly with England. And it was Robert Endicott and Dave That's Cocker. Pitch publishing yep. out now. Um, Lovely couple of pages in um, Backpass magazine by John Cully. It's called Bookshelf. And Mm. um, also it it gives a shout out to Heroes in the Shadows, the story of Don Howe, England's English football's greatest coach by David Mm. Tossel. Um, Big fan of David's work. And I I did uh, a podcast with David with his All Crazy Now book, which is about the 19th. 70s, and, and when I'm looking down here as well, Newcastle United, the great days, 1904 to 1911 by David Potter. Again, yeah. it's publishing, and we have covered that, haven't we? In the um, yeah, we have podcast previously. Yeah, we have. Yeah, lo- lots of great books have coming out from Pitch as well. Um, and um, one I'd like to give a shout out that came out there fairly recently, bringing it back to the 80s. This is is uh, called Groundwork 
which is the inside story behind Jim Smith's Derby County. Yes. Uh, and it's written by Ryan Hills. Uh, he's written a couple of books um, on Derby County. His first one uh, was pr- called Pride. Uh, it was based on the 21st century Derby. It was written before they've had the, you know, the last few years of, uh, well, many, many issues, haven't they? But this is a book, Jim Smith's Derby County, um, when um, he took, no, sorry, it was in 95, so I want to say the 80s, I threw myself on it. He took charge of Derby County in the summer of 1995. Uh, and, it, yeah, the club needed balance in the books at that time. And after several seasons, failed fail to reach the Premier League, um, it was expected him, but he was alongside Steve McLaren. I was going to say, Tran- I'm sure McLaren was it. Yeah. Wasn't Marco Gabbiadini? He was around in them days as well for Derby, if you remember. Yeah, yeah. One of the legends, so to speak, so I was Igor Stimak, if you remember yeah. that name. So yeah, uh, he's a, yeah, an absolute great he is in, in, uh, for Derby fans. Because they uh, but, yeah. spent a load of dough, didn't they, Derby? Really mm. went heavy on the spending. And then when yeah. Jim had it and Steve McLaren come in as a coach, yeah. They got promoted. I'm pretty much they got rid of all the big name players and bought in other players. Um, wasn't Kitson yeah. in that team as well? Dave, yeah, Kitson. I think he was. Yeah. So Paul, um, Paul Kitson wasn't it? Paul Kitson. Paul Kitson. That's it. Yeah. Mm. Um, it says here Smith builds a team side capable of matching the very best in English and amassing an array of international talent that was never been seen before. Uh, and it was bankrolled by a local businessman called Lionel Pickering. Okay. Uh, yeah, who threatened to become uh, a major force in the English game again. So, um, but uh, yeah, he was known as the Bold Eagle, wasn't he, Jim Smith? Oh, I don't seem to remember. Well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> he, was, he was Blackburn Rovers manager, and then he comes to Birmingham City. I think yeah. he got sacked. He really got shat upon by Birmingham City's board because Aston mm. Villa had got rid well, they hadn't got rid of Doug, e- of Doug Ellis. Um, there was a lot of boardroom upheaval in them days. Uh, Doug was around, the Bendles were around, they were changing chairman. And I think it was the 9th of February 1982. Yeah. Um, the night before that, Dennis had had a conversation on the phone with Ron, and Ron had said, I'll see you at training tomorrow. He never turned right. up. He, he right. left, he walked out on Aston Villa, and he took the uh, the managerial job at Birmingham City. So he were, he went across the city from Villa to Birmingham. His first game in charge of Birmingham at St Andrews was against the Villa, and his last piece of the jigsaw, Peter Wiz, scored the winning goal for Villa, and they beat Birmingham really? City 1-0. I remember being at that game. Um, I remember Birmingham City fans singing, we'll take more care of you, Saunders. And Villa fans <laughs> shouting, you must be fucking mad, Saunders, Saunders. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah did Jim Smith then go on to Oxford after that? He went to Oxford, yeah, and he done yeah. really well with Oxford. In he fact, did, he? yeah, Jim's my favourite Birmingham City manager. I think Jim was a right. great manager, great character, loved yeah. to play good football, worked with some fantastic football players. And, yeah. um, you know, a really great football man and, and manager, Jim Smith, for me. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah, all the very best. And sadly not with us any longer. Yeah, and a few it, years back, wasn't it, when he passed yeah. away? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was, yeah, it was the right few uh, years back. So I was, I was trying, I phoned up Oxford and I was trying to do a, get an interview with uh, with Jim, but he, he, 
at that time he, he wasn't very well so so we couldn't but um yeah sadly yeah. missed a great a great manager and a great man of, uh, yeah. of football uh, the longest winter a season with England's worst ever football team by Mark Hodgkinson. I don't yeah, know if you've got yeah. the book. I'll look at the book. I have. I, again, I think it's a great cover. Um, yeah. Is it Rochdale? It's Rochdale, isn't it? The worst team ever. It is. It is. <laughs> yeah, no, it's <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, absolutely. But no, based on the 73-74 season, I just, he's, a, he's a great writer, uh, Mark Hodgkinson. He wrote a book, uh, another book, um, it was called The Overcoat Men. Um, focused on Rochdale as well, uh, and it was on that story. That particular book was focused on the story of two men who saved the club's um, existence in the early 1980s. But this book, yeah, the longest winter goes back um, to uh, yeah 97-74 season, where they, I think they, they won just two games in 46. Mm. Uh, but what's 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 great about that book is that it says um, that I think they use they use 32 players. Uh, but many of them were drafted in from amateur or Sunday league clubs yeah. just to make up the numbers. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's a great, and it, yeah, it's a fabulous story. Um, but again, great reminder of those times. Uh, in fact, it does say on the the synopsis, it's quite interesting at the time of when, uh, when you think back to those times, because it was the, Britain was in basically a meltdown. It was the uh, Arab-Israeli war, uh, petrol size, uh, energy prices are soaring like they are now. Exactly, not uh, exchange, <laughs> Yeah, uh, offices because of the weather they were limited to t- um, temperature seventeen Celsius, uh, and power cuts were frequent. The three day work weeks came in as inflation took hold, yeah, and the miners and workers, <laughs> mi- miners and the other <laughs> workers went on strike. It's incredible, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Fifty years on, you could almost read the same thing. I'm just waiting to see what team yeah. is going in the Rochdale version in 2022, 23. I thought it was going to be Birmingham at one stage, but there you go. <laughs> yeah. So, but no, it looks a great, really great read. It's a great author, so I'm sure that'll be a fantastic. So, and again, like you said, great looking title and great looking cover, isn't it? Yeah. The longest it is. winter. It does take yeah. a lot of doing, doesn't it? Just winning two games. Although going back yeah. to the Premier League with Derby, uh, they had that horrendous season, didn't they? They didn't win. Did I mean, <laughs> how many games did they win? I think they didn't win much more than two, did they? Did, I, don't, I think it might have been one or two, but I certainly remember it was eleven points because, uh, as a Forest fan, uh, one of the main things this season is to get to twelve points, which sounds daft, I know, but we don't want to go down as the Worst team in history, which is obviously what we talk about of Derby County. So, uh, as you do about your rivals, so it's always about when we win that, or if it will be a draw, you and hopefully it'll be at the City Ground. It'll be the biggest, it'll be the biggest cheer ever. Even if it's the last game, you know we get to twelve points, that'll be that's enough. <laughs> but I mean, like with three points for a win now, so they're six. Yeah. So yeah. If they've only, I mean, they probably did only win two. So. You know, you yeah. could argue that Derby County were the worst team ever and, you know, they had a well, much bigger budget than what Rochdale would have had. And I don't remember him yeah. taking anyone from Sunday League football to play for Derby, although when you watch Derby, there looks as though there were a few players of that level of football, wasn't there? <laughs> in the day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> interesting manager as well, of course, in Billy Davis. 
So uh, yeah. he famously came over to Forest yeah. as well. So quite a character to say the least. Yeah, no, uh, I don't think the, I don't there. think the journalist don't think the journalist missed him. He was sorry, sorry, Paul. Yeah, and then all of a sudden you you didn't hear anything else of Billy Davis. At one stage no. it was like Billy Davis for you know every job that was going in football, and then I think managers when they're out for a certain amount of time, it's like oh that's it, finished now. You never heard of them again. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it was famous. I can remember lots of quotes about players say so you could literally have an argument on his own. <laughs> in a room so uh, yeah. yeah it was a fiery character to say the least another book so, here uh, I'm looking in uh, on the bookshelf yeah. in um, uh, Backpass magazine in the shadow of Ben Bourbon that's one hell of a oh. name isn't it Ben Bourbon yeah. uh, Dixie yeah. Dean at Sligo Rovers by Paul yeah. Little again pitch publishing uh, William Ralph Dixie Dean retired as a footballer in uh, 1938 he was only 31, but the injuries required in 16 years as a professional footballer were taking its toll in his attempt to prolong his career with Notts County following his departure yeah. from Everton uh, and run out of road. Mm. He announced he was embarking on a new career as a talent scout. And then it goes on, my reading is awful, so I'm not going to bore <laughs> you with the reading. But he did end up at Sligo Rovers, didn't he? Yeah. For, he did. uh, for a season and, and this book uh, looks at that season um, yeah. Blimey, yeah he did his best but the IRA were mounting a bombing campaign at the time and none mm. of the players approached wanting to go but, I mean it, it is difficult recruiting yeah. players at that time yeah. isn't it as well when um, people are bombing up you know yeah, players, yeah I'm sure. but, but yeah, it's fondly remembered of course yeah fondly remembered Dixie Dean isn't it um, that particular book it's um yeah, he was, was. I think he was only there for four months. I think it was. If I it, remember it, was, right. it, it wasn't, wasn't long. long. No, it wasn't yeah. long. Um, Brian, they're going to do well if they get two hundred and fifty pages out of three months, aren't they? <laughs> 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 but yeah. he, he has gone down as a legend, mind you. He would do he? It's Dixie Dean, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, oh, boy. Yeah, you could. You could probably could fill out a good book about Dixie Dean. So. Uh, yeah. Well, what a, what a legend he was, wasn't it? Yeah. Certainly in his uh, obviously his days at Goodison Park. Absolutely. Um, yeah, excellent. Still the um, greatest that that Everton have ever seen, and I think Dixie still holds a record for the most goals ever scored for one team. And yeah, Dixie, yeah. You know, pretty much his goals for uh, for Everton Football Club. I think he scored something over two hundred and fifty goals. Something absolutely ridiculous. Or, I think yeah. I think it was more like three hundred and fifty goals for Everton. <laughs> <laughs> I've not got the uh, the facts to hand, but uh, Dixie Dean, what an absolute legend! You've got Blue yeah. Matt, you've got Dixie, and you've got Jimmy, the three greatest goal scorers that we've ever phenomenal. seen in this country. Yeah, yeah, phenomenal goal scoring record. Yeah, what you got next, mate? Well, um, picking up on pitch again. So I'm going back now to the, the 84-86 season. This is about Sheffield Wednesday. Okay. Uh, and Back in the Big Time by John Dyson. Yeah. So this is Sheffield Wednesday's return to Division 1, 1984 uh, to 86. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it tells the story of the Owls' first two seasons back in the top flight after 14 years in the wilderness. Mm. Um, so... That would have been uh, Howard, the one. Well, they, 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 yeah, sorry. Howard wasn't it that took him back? Yeah, so the the slow uh, climb back uh, was under Jack Charlton and then Howard Wilkinson. Mm. Uh, yeah, Howard Wilkinson's team 
they finished fifth in Division One after uh, just uh, two years. Uh, and they embarked on cup campaigns that uh, I think they come close to Wembley as well. Rightly, so um, but that's written by uh, John Dyson. I think he's wrote a couple of books on Sheffield Wednesday. So, um, but yeah, the, the front cover in the background it was one of the the, the best stands, the Spine Cop in oh, Hillsborough. Incredible, isn't it? There's a picture. Yeah. Well, it, it's the picture on the front of um, Granddad. What was football like in the seventies? It is. Seven, yeah, Santos. That, that book. Yeah, Santos. Yeah. When they played in the Spine Cop there. Uh, phenomenal but Terry Curran just missed out on that because TC you say to Jack Jack if we bought him him and him um, yeah. I think I've got no idea it was Verardi who he was talking about bringing in Verardi might have been yeah. Mick Lyons who he was talking about bringing in and, and another player I know there was three players that Terry said to Jack bring them in and we'll get promoted but Jack didn't yeah. and I think then when Howard took over he did bring in them players and they got promoted. So yeah. TC weren't far wider than Mark, but at that time, of course, he'd uh, he left Sheffield Wednesday in the mid-80s. Yeah, he left him. Carving out a career at, uh, at Everton Football Club, but again, got a bad injury like what he did at Nottingham Forest. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, he left Wednesday in 82, didn't he? So it could be years before that. So uh, Yeah, he was and, off to uh, Sheffield yeah. United. He, he moved to uh, Sheffield yeah. United. There was a... yeah. Yeah, problem over um, signing on fee, I believe. But there yeah. you go. Jack not, <laughs> Jack not paying the tax on it. And then he come back and said he would, but he'd already done the deal with Reg and he took him to Sheffield United. But it yeah, didn't true. go down very well. But there you go. That's what happens in football. We all move on. And there's still a lot of Wednesday fans that remind him now. And some of them still <laughs> haven't forgiven him. And you think, I mean, I had this, not a debate or a row, but I just said to this bloke the one day on T's official page, oh, yeah, how old are you? Like, get over <laughs> yourself. It's, not, it's the early 80s. It's like 40 <laughs> years. And he's still, I still haven't forgiven you, Terry. But yeah. That's football yeah. fans. Mad. That's it. We all have grudges. Some do. You mentioned Richard Crooks because you did mention um, the 70s, 1970s, what football was like. And it's, it would be remiss of me not to mention then the book that came out last uh, last month was the what football was like in the 1990s. So yep. he completed his 60s, 70s, 80s, and now in the 90s. Uh, and um, yeah, and obviously, as we've talked about earlier, in this podcast, how it changed from those uh, those early early years of the nineties, but um, yeah. So R- Richard Crooks, I look forward to reading that one as well and getting his uh, view on how it's changed when I compare it to back what he wrote about the seventies and obviously the eighties, etc. So it'll be interesting. Absolutely. Um, what I love about the dynamics books, changed. What I love about them books is it's got the league, um, the end of yes. the football league or the. The league tables yeah. in there, hasn't it? Yeah, I love, I love yeah, looking at league tables and stuff like that. The facts and that, I, I think yeah. it's fascinating to look at the ten league, you know, ten year, and, and how the teams have progressed or or digressed over yeah. uh, over a ten year period and over a forty year period. Unbelievably, that, and then yeah. you can look at, you know, when they start the Premier League when football was actually formed in the 90s, of course, in, in that year. Yeah. And how many teams now are still in the Premier League that played in that first Premier League? That's yeah. a very interesting uh, observation because there's an awful lot that 
probably, and not even, I mean, Oldham are even not in the league now that were in the first Premier League, wasn't they? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's very different, isn't it? I mm. can even remember when they, they promoted the first Premier League, didn't they, on the um, on Sky, uh, which was, oh, I forget what the slogan was. Was it a new ball the game? Whole new ball game. The whole new the ball whole game. The whole new ball game, that's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, I'm pretty sure uh, Oldham were playing. So, I'm just thinking of some of the more obscure clubs. I think Oldham were in that first ever. Sure, they were, yeah. Yeah. Um, and... Sheffield Wednesday were, I'm sure they were. Ipswich yeah. Town, Ipswich Town. I would try and figure some of the clubs. Probably, yeah. Yeah. There would be, yeah. there would be a number of. I mean, I'm not too sure whether Barnsley was in the first one, but but certainly Barnsley and Swindon had a time yeah. in the early years of, yeah, they uh, did. of the Premier League. There yeah. Was, I mean, there's if you look at, I mean, apart from the big, the big six, if you like of. Yeah. Liverpool and Arsenal and Chelsea. Yeah. I don't think Chelsea. I don't think Chelsea have been relegated, have they? From the Premier League. Well, certainly Arsenal haven't. I don't think so. Arsenal no. haven't. Everton haven't. And Liverpool. And uh, we'll we'll just stick at that. And Manchester United, of course, haven't. But um, yeah. yeah, Manchester City have Ab. had their time in <laughs> League One. But yeah, uh, yeah how, how times change in football. So you're absolutely right to look at that from the 60s through to the 90s. And I'm sure yeah. that, 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 that Richard will go on and uh, write another book in the 2000s. And you look through yeah. the decades of football. Because once you've started that from the 60s and you've done the 70s, you've done the 80s, you've done the 90s, yes. you've actually yeah. got to do the 2000s and then, the, and then the next decade, haven't you? You've almost got yeah. to do it. It's not with that. Yeah. Dave Ramsey's done his 1971-1972 football season. You've got to do all of them then. Once you've started that, yeah. you've got to have a series where you, you finish it. Again, going back to when we started with, with Stephen's books about the European Cup, the Cup Winners' Cup, yeah. the UEFA Cup. As soon as you've yeah. done one book, you've got to do the two. And yeah. as soon as you do the two, and I'm sure you probably never set out with the idea of a trilogy, <laughs> but you have, you have to, don't you? Because you go... Do you know okay. what? I've got to. I've just got to make it up because it's imbalanced if I don't. So, best of luck with you going forward for your next two books. Of, <laughs> of, of those That'd be great. The great to look back, isn't it? It's almost like, um, yeah. almost like if you want to say like the books, like Bible, almost a testament, yeah. isn't it? Be they, yeah. you know, be look back in many, many years to come to read about the sixties, read about the seventies, and mm. see how it's evolved. It'd be, yeah, and then obviously it has changed a hell of a lot, hasn't it? Um, but just tying it in, because you mentioned about um, well, the early days of the 90s, another book that um, has been sent to me, again through Pitch, is League One Leeds. Um, so they, oh, yeah. they were in the first ever Premier League. And this is The Journey Through the Abyss. Uh, and it's written by probably one of the best-sounding author's names I can, I've seen, Rocco Dean, his name yeah, is. Rocco like Dean, Rocco. love that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, he's written a number of books. But this is about... League One Leeds, and it's the story of Leeds United's three seasons they spent in the third tier mm. of English football. So uh, when they really went down, and if you love the tables, mm. well, it has the tables in here of each of those seasons, which is great as well. It's good to see in terms of how where they were and where they, you know, uh, how they come up. Because they actually, they started off as you remember they had a fifteen point deduction that plunged them yes. uh, from yeah. promotion favourites mm. to relegation, yeah, fodder basically. Mm. Um, but they went on record-breaking winning runs 
but during it, they still had the FA Cup defeats, if you remember, at Histon uh, and yeah. Hereford as well. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a great, it's a, it's a great little account of a fascinating period in Leeds United's history and more recent history as well. And that's uh, by yeah Rocco Dean. The forwards by Simon Grayson who was uh, the manager for that period as well. So. Yeah, um, not adverse to the old uh, giant killing act, are they, Leeds United? Remember the 71 with Colchester? Yes, yeah. yeah Ray Crawford true. and all, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, who gives you all these books from Pitch? But what's your contact at Pitch? <laughs> well, I can't show that on here because everyone want to do it. So, uh, <laughs> but no, uh, but obviously, um, well, this has been. It feels weird to be saying this, but how how it's grown in popularity, the social media and the website, uh, it has attracted publishers to me, and that they, yeah, I, that one of the massive benefits of this, yeah. um, whilst I never can make a living out of this, it has out where I get books sent to me because it just in return to share their book through social media. And I, I quite often now, I don't do book reviews as much as I used to. Because now, yeah. I know, because it just takes, it's long enough reading the book, then write them a whole review about it. I'm, I'm not an author. Mm. Uh, maybe one day, let's see. But um, um, I do feature posts, so I'll do like a summary of the book, you know, again, using like the synopsis. But yeah, I get a lot of books sent to me and pitch, uh, yeah, there's a guy there, and uh, I've um, yeah spoken electronically with the um, the lady. It's uh, I think there's two of them that own Bitch Publishing, and uh, yeah, I get books sent to me, which is uh, in return for promoting them. Lovely, of course, as well. Well, you you and... re- you tell Pitch. You send the book to you. It's pointless sending it to me. I don't read anything. <laughs> send the book to you. You read yeah. the book. You tell me what the book's about, and I'll interview him. <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. More than happy to. That's more how than it happy works. To. That's how it yeah, works. Now every author, as you, and then it, and that is that's the that's one of the beauties. And that's like it's an upside of what I do. I love reading football books. Anyway, yeah. and the upside of it, I get to promote books. I yeah. get to promote the great authors out there. You know, it's like yeah. a. It's almost like a self kind of feeling of I'm helping people because, you know, there's when there's a book going out and an October boy right, next month there's 45 new books coming out, which I've never known as many. I've never known yeah. in all my time of uh, many books, and because of that, they want that promotion. You know, they need to get out there the podcast etc. Mm-hmm. Promote them, and uh, I'm more than happy to use you are as well, Paul, to help promote them and get that word out there because there's a lot of great stories to tell. Absolutely. And, um, yeah, a lot of great mixture of stories. Absolutely. Well, so. But you're right, the football book mm. industry has mm. really grown, hasn't it? And, and it's great. It it's great that yeah. it's grown. And Pitch, I, I don't know how they've done it, but they they are, you know, they've been disrespectful. And there's lots of great publishers, and I'm sure that Pitch have probably got more money than the other publishers. Yeah. But, you know, they mm. have done such a great job. And and I love everything about pitch publishing. I love all the like the logo in and the way they promote it. I just I just think they're really spot on, really they are. professional. And as I say, um, I, again, what, this is the difference between you and I, Andy. You're famous, <laughs> and I'm not. I've I've, <laughs> oh, contact, I've contacted pitch, and I get nothing back. Oh, you contact right, okay. pitch. 
just drop my name and then yeah. Exactly. I yeah. might do that. <laughs> I might say I'm I'm Andy from my football books. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's open source. The mic talks to me then. The mic talks. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I was that famous, I really but there you go. But <laughs> all joking apart, what a wonderful job uh, pitch publishing do, as do all of the other publishing houses that publish yeah. fantastic football books and magazines as well so yeah. let's not forget the magazines because they do a valuable job Absolutely. so so well done all what have you got what's coming out in october what's in your newsletter anything okay. that we haven't already uh, spoken about i do want to give you my last title um yeah england football the biography 1872 to 2022 by Paul Haywood. That looks right. a fabulous book as well. Again, yeah. I've seen it being promoted and I thought, ah, Rob Stewart was promoting it the other day. He's a okay. journalist and he writes yeah. for uh, Backpass, doesn't he? And, and I yeah. noticed it on his socials and I thought, ooh, that looks interesting. So I, I share yeah. it and that's what I do. If I find things interesting, I share yeah, no, absolutely. No, that's uh, again. That's what I was going to mention actually. So you beat me to it because that comes out next month in October. Yeah, yeah. It's the biography from 1972 to 2022. So yep. Paul Hayward, that author. This is his, this is his first uh, standalone book. Um, okay. um, but he's a very well. He's a he was a chief uh, sports writer. At, uh, Daily Telegraph. I can bring them all up. Daily Telegraph, Guardian, Observer, Daily Mail. He's been five times sports journalist. Sports Writer of the Year. Uh, he, he's co-written the autobiography with Michael Owen, Sir Bobby Robson, Sir Alex Ferguson. This man is is in, he's one of the. I'm amazed. This is his first book mm. on his own. You know, when I just well just rolled off that really, and the amount of books he's been linked to and uh, his writing uh, credentials. So, uh, um, but yeah, that's going to be a really interesting book, just based on already on yeah his talents really. So, uh, but yeah that comes out and it's going right back from when the first game when England took on Scotland in Glasgow in 1872 was nil, nil. regarded as the first international fixture and enthralled those 5,000 people with a nil-nil game yeah <laughs> <laughs> but there's something lovely about nil-nil sometimes aren't they yeah. nil-nils can be glorious as well can't they well they can They're be sure. and, and, this, and the only way is up then isn't it you know the next one at least you'll probably see a goal I mean, yeah. 1970 at Hampden Park. I mean, that was in nil-nil as well. I'm sure that there's yeah. been quite a few nil-nils over the years, but 70, <laughs> 1872 and, and 1970 <clears throat> were yeah. definitely nil-nils. Yeah, that's no, great. You, you can, it's, it's quite ironic, isn't it? The first ever international uh, game, and it's nil-nil. You know, there's 5,000 fans. They must have gone away from that game thinking... Don't bother that football arc, it's boring. You know, but now look at it, yeah. yeah. Let's go back to rugby. It's, uh, it caught on a little bit, didn't it? Yeah, just, <laughs> just slightly. Especially when yeah. we used to play those uh, games up at Hampden Park, England versus, well, Scotland versus England. Yeah. A few more than 5,000, eh? They wow, used yeah. to get 120 plus. 130 plus in they in Hampden Park in those and again, glorious days. Yeah, I, I've uh, I've I've seen one of the. It's called um, uh, Turnstiles. Uh, Lifted over Turnstiles is the book title. I'm going a little bit off memory here. 
couple of volumes uh, there, isn't there? Yeah, there's a few volumes, and I'm sure mm. there's a picture in there. It's Celtic against someone, uh, but I remember the attendance anyway. It was around about 160,000. Crazy. Did you believe? It's mad, isn't it? <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> Bonkers, isn't it? So yeah. uh, that's, that's, um, that's some hot dogs they sold on that day. Absolutely, and and some and some nips of scotch and brandy, no doubt. Yeah, absolutely, I keep the toilets. Oh, um, didn't, they didn't bother. <laughs> if you went to the toilet in a crowd like that, you'd never get back. You just done no. it on the stands. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. and they did. Yeah. Um, but we came out recently, um, so yeah, just mentioning some of the new releases and ones that's coming out, uh, coming soon. Um, one that again I mentioned pitch again, but it's called Power Players. Okay. Um, by Ronnie um, Blaschek. I fully got that completely wrong. I think I got Ronnie right. Um, the subtitle it's a football and propaganda war and revolution. So there's a common synergy there, really, with obviously what's happening in Ukraine and Russia mm. and what have you. But it's a fascinating look at the ugly side of the beautiful game, um, and it just talks about. Um, how football's been used as an instrument of political power. So you've got dictators in the Middle East who um, brutally bring players uh, into line and present themselves as you know, the fathers of the people, etc. Um, but it's, it's great stories, and it does talk about Yugoslavia, Ukraine, and the Arab world, and the ultras, and etc., and how it's all linked to politics. Because um, mm. there's always one of my favourite ever books, it's a chunk of a book called The Age of Football by David Coldblatt. We wrote a very famous book called The Ball is Round. Yeah. But yeah, those books really do show you the the um, how linked to society and politics that football is now. Mm. It's oh, it has, has been for many many years. It's incredible, uh, and you probably don't re- we don't realise it as how how interlinked they are. Well, we but do because we is, see the players well, we do. every week, we don't do. we? Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. Uh, but this book, yeah, it's a really fascinating-looking um, book, uh, which picks on that. Yeah, football and propaganda, war and revolution. So uh, it's quite um, neat in terms of the time. And great-looking cover as well, again, as well. And that particular one from Pitch. Um, books that's coming in soon as well? If I yes, just mention that, I won't mention just it, being but... quiet now. I've done all my work. <laughs> I'm just, you know, you're just going to tell me, and I'm going to go, oh, I like that. Mm. Yeah. Again, I love the way that you promote them. You've got your table and you've got your cup of coffee and you've got your book <laughs> and that. It looks really artistic. And and Thank again, you. with you, you have that many books and you promote that many books and that's what you do. You're a book yeah. promoter. Uh, you read as well. You've got the ability to read. You listen to me trying to read about Dixie Dean's book. I, I, I'm awful at reading, but I am getting oh. through Dennis's book. But I do look through and I go, yep, like that, bang, like it, like it, share it. And there are some books that really I go, ooh, ears prick up. So will I, you carry on, mate, and I'll see if my ears <laughs> prick up to any of them. Well, I still think it's a mini task of mine, Paul. All these podcasts, we're on nine now, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. By the time we get to double figures and further down, but uh, you would have read a book by then uh, from cover to cover. <laughs> Janet and John was the last book <laughs> I read cover to cover. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. The one that might you might take, take your fancy because uh, I mean it's the nicest way. It's a pictorial book. It comes out in uh, October. <laughs> it's called World Cup Moments. It's by yeah, the time. Like, I like pictures. Uh, 
Yeah, and uh, the the author is Richard Whitehead. So the oh, right. the guy, yeah, so he's linked. I'm pretty sure him. I, I might have been assuming here it is the same Richard White. I would be amazed it's not the same. I'll have a look. Uh, but he's putting the words together and it kind of link as well because the cup is you know one of my, my most favourite recent books. Obviously he um, wrote that and the imagery in the book is brilliant, but the storage of birds is one aren't they as well. But this he's is a yeah, intelligent the, the man, you know. He is. Yeah, well, you've obviously I've listened to your podcast with him. My, what he knows about football is incredible, isn't it? But he also, um, do you know what he does? He kind mm. of, you know, like you write a book and then you have a proofreader. Yeah. He's the, like, next level above the proofreader. He's like an edit person. Yeah. So he'll yeah. look at it and he'll change it, all of that. He's proper clever. Yeah. Villa, well, I hope he what, Villa have got some, Yeah. Villa have got some really, really clever supporters uh-huh. and authors. Yeah, yeah, but that World Cup moment. So it's uh, it's basically the again tiny with all the World Cup was coming up, but it's uh, the hundred. Uh, what they've done is picked out a hundred iconic images and articles. Brilliant. Um, so yeah, it's all the best moments. So the first World Cup in Uruguay, nineteen thirty, North Korea's fairy tale in England, sixty six, and right up to the you know modern times. So German when Germany humiliated Brazil. In 2014, which uh, that iconic yeah. semi-final was it seven seven one wasn't it? One, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, that's coming out in October. So, um, uh, and the forwards by Henry Winter. So, uh, okay, is, uh, yeah. So that looks a great book. Yeah, the mm-hmm. Times that is World Cup moments. I think I shared it recently. I'll have a look at um, that and share it on my post. Um, coming out is uh, the Tommy Hutchinson story. Oh uh, yes. Hutch. Yep, I've yeah. seen that. Shared that. What a player he yeah. was. In fact, Buddy yeah. talks so highly of uh, of Tommy Hutchinson. He was out mm. there. I think he was out there in. Um, they won the league in '82, so it would have been. It would have gone out after the the cup final, Coventry versus Tottenham, yeah. where he scored a goal for both sides. Didn't he, in the first game, uh, it, Hutch- Tommy Hutchinson, but. Uh, yeah. Udi says, what a player he was. Yeah. What, yeah. what yeah. a player. So, yeah, I shall, I, I'll get that book. That That is yeah. an ear pricker up of, uh, of mine. <laughs> Tom, the, the great Tommy Hutchinson. I wouldn't, yeah. mind, I wouldn't yeah. mind making a podcast with Tommy. Oh, that'd be fantastic, wouldn't it? Yeah, mm. absolutely. So, uh, but, yeah, the story of one man's small, uh, one uh, small boy's near impossible dream becoming a reality. He grew up in the poverty uh, the 1950s in the Fife uh, Coalfield. Uh, he just had a, yeah, as it says, an unshakable belief in himself and um, had a great career, didn't he? Most notably at Coventry, as you've said, during the 70s uh, yeah. into the 1981 um, when he left to move on to, I think it was Manchester City. Yeah, he did. Wrong, yeah, I'm sure he did. He played Man City. Yeah. Tottenham played for Manchester City. In eighty one, yeah. But in Dennis's book, Dennis like said of Tommy, Blimey, we bought a player here. Um, yeah. and, and again I I can't remember who, who the contact was, but I'd um I'd got Alan his number, so I must have it, so I'll I'll phone up Alan and see if I can exactly. uh, do a podcast yeah. with Tommy Hutchinson promoting his book. Who who's who's um 
uh, published that book? Is it another pitch? Uh, it is. I'm pretty sure it is pitch. Yeah. Uh, uh, so look, yeah, pitch. Pitch have again, a, yeah, pitch. Have publisher. a word with your friends at pitch because they probably won't come back to me. So yeah, have a word with your friends at pitch and see if they fancy. Um, yeah. connecting me. Yeah. I mean, I'll try with Alan, but um, if he's still yeah. got his number, but uh, yeah, I would like to I'll do, do that. it. But... I'll note that down. Yeah. I know that's going to be a really popular book because when I do share uh, anything like on Twitter or Facebook, um, that one, yeah. the, the alerts coming in through my phone, I was like, what's going on? And uh, people yeah. retweeting it, liking it, etc. There's certain books out there that catch the imagination, so uh, yeah. Uh, and yeah, that was definitely one that was suddenly not behind me. Crikey, that's going to be a popular one. So, Brilliant. but yeah, the hook. Um, but uh, yeah, I'll uh, I took a note of that, so I'll um, I'll see what I can do. Um, because let me <laughs> let me just say before you, say, you did line me up with both of those, the Alchemy book and the uh, yes. game of yes, the uh, century did. as well. Yeah, we had a conversation. I said, yeah, by all means, yeah. and uh, and, and yeah. then it comes to fruition. So you're my agent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'll uh, I'll mention the fee later. Um, so. <laughs> Uh, also coming out October, we've got because uh, there's a lot of World Cup theme, and that's why there's so many, of course, coming out uh, in October uh, ahead of November for the World Cup. I still feel strange to say that. And uh, you've got the making of the FIFA World Cup by Jack Davies, and so this is um, uh, 75 of the most memorable uh, moments. Probably some similarities to that book I mentioned earlier by the Times, but probably more about the uh, not so much pictorial more like the written word, let's say. But that's one that's coming out, um, which we're looking forward to. Um, there is one about Qatar 2020, uh, the tiny nation that dreamed big. So, um, yeah, let's have a look at that one. That's coming out by pitch. Uh, the back page uh, is coming out by pitch as well. So 50 years of headlining with Sporting Kings by Steve Miller. Okay. Uh, yeah, so the back page is a fascinating look at the world of sports journalism the eyes of Steve Miller, who spent 50 years covering some of the greatest events in football, golf and tennis. Hmm. Um, so he reveals what it was like to get to know the legends like Bob Paisley, Brian Clough, and rub shoulders with some of the stars of the 90s as well, like Cantona, Ron Robson, Beckham, etc. So, um, yeah, that's been an interesting book, which comes out on Monday. There's quite a few books you'll see in my feed coming out on Monday, the 3rd of October. So, uh, yeah. When, <laughs> when a book day. is being released, mm. I mean, you've got mm. so much experience now. Is mm. there a certain time that the books, I mean, I, I know books come yeah. out for Christmas and you've alluded yeah. to the fact that there's a World Cup in November and yeah. World Cup books are coming out now. But the books come out the beginning of the month or the middle or the end. Is there a time mm. where you go, right, I know that book's going to come out because they always come out at that time in the mm. month? It's a good question, uh, and I'd have to think about off memory, but it's probably, I think a lot of it is probably around the start of the month, end of the month. Yeah. I think people get paid around about that time, don't they? It's one of the, probably the reasons as well why they come yeah. out at that certain time. Mm-hmm. Certainly when you think of the World Cup, you know, uh, there was a lot of books that came out um, in July, June, about particular clubs, knowing yeah. that the season is going to be kicking off soon. Mm-hmm. Um, there's things like that. Um, so... Yeah, you t- you tend to get quite a lot of books just thinking it through. Don't certainly at the start of the month, at the end of the month, and it's probably because of that reason people are getting paid. <laughs> and so, again, uh, days of so, the week is it pretty much yeah, on a Monday? Mondays, the Mondays, the... Mondays and Thursdays. Yeah. Oh right, okay. 
So, yeah, very strange. Uh, it's funny you should... I've never really thought about it, to be honest, but Mondays probably makes sense, but Thursdays as well. So, uh, yeah. pitch publishing, always go for a Monday. Right, Pitch okay. publishing, we'll all get a book come out on a Monday. So, uh, I can't think of them never doing otherwise, but uh, most of us will do, yeah, a Wednesday maybe, but a Thursday, just ahead of the weekend, etc. So, uh mm. Um, but yeah, I'm not really sure the re- reasons why that is. But yeah, we tend to go down that road. You'll have to ask your mate to pitch. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you've got a load of questions to ask. Pitch. <laughs> um, so other books that's coming out in October. Um, there's a couple of books. There's one around uh, Manchester United, which celebrates the history, called Glory, Glory, Man United. So it's from his talks about it from his genesis as uh, Newton Heath, of course, yes. when it was founded in 1878. And, uh, yeah, it's written by a lifelong Red um, Devils fan, Neville uh, Moore. Uh, and it just talks about the extraordinary history of that club. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's a bit like an anthology from what I can see, a concise mm. history of Manchester United. So certainly one for United fans out there. Um, there's one coming out, Football in the Land of the Soviets, um, by a guy called Carlos Vina, who uh, I know is a great, because he wrote a book on um, the club you may have heard, St. Pauli yeah, in Germany. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, iconic uh, very, club, aren't they? Iconic, yeah. Are they from Hamburg? Uh, it is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think, I think so. it's Hamburg, Aaron. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but he's the co-author of that book called um, St. Pauli and Other Football is Possible. But this book is football in the land of the Soviets. So, uh, uh, and it's just offering a fresh perspective on a monumentous chapter in modern political history. So, how uh, the Russian game was transformed in its first few decades. So, uh, uh, yeah, always, I like the, the link back to history. My, my favourite books is always around history yeah. and football. So, that'll be a fascinating one. The growth so, of uh, Russian football come through Gazprom. Then the summer of '63. This is about Revit's plan for Leeds United. Right, uh, that sounds good. But, yeah, so written by Gary Edwards. Uh, it's, I guess he's written a lot of books. Um, in fact, it says here it's his seventh book. This is so he's a commonalist. He's all uh, the league. Sorry, all leads that he's written about. Yeah, yeah. yeah I've, Oh, I think so. I think so. The ones I spring to mind are um, Leeds. Yeah. He might have written others. Um, but yeah, that's coming out. So basically, uh, yeah, Summer of 63 uncovers the truth behind the dirty Leeds tag that prevailed for almost 60 years. Uh, gleaned from players' private photos, telegrams, scrapbooks, and the testimonies uh, of Leeds and opposition fans. So it's an amazing account of Don Revy's vision to turn a failing side into the club's greatest ever team. Um, so that comes out mm. on Monday. That, that, <laughs> oh, right, OK. That yeah. dirty Leeds tag, Johnny was telling me, the, mm. um, they they took the disciplinaries from, I think, the youth, the reserve, the fir- the, all of the Leeds club, and then put it out. And, and it wasn't a true ref- reflection on yeah. the first team. So yeah. it was a distorted reflection, but Udi says they were dirty. Yeah. And, and, and everybody that played against them, Paul Fletcher, they were dirty. I mean, yeah. there's no two ways about it. Leeds could put it, <laughs> put it about a bit, but what, what never and what always is forgotten 
is that Leeds were a great football team as well. So yeah, there's always the tag, dirty Leeds. But uh, yeah, OK, let's balance it by saying, in my yeah. opinion, <laughs> Leeds United, that Leeds United team is the greatest team I've seen from Britain. Yeah, but not yeah. the team, obviously, not, not my team. But I, I do, when I think of great English football clubs, Leeds United is always up there for me. It's First one of those clubs. team, not a club. Initially. Yeah, not a, not a yeah. club. Because before Revy, Leeds have won nothing. I mean, mm, Leeds, yeah, yeah. I was having this chat with, yeah. with TC on one of the podcasts. You could mm. argue that the biggest team in in Yorkshire, and certainly in terms of honours, is Sheffield mm. Wednesday. Yeah, I mean, Leeds yeah. United aren't a big club. I mean, yeah. they are because of what Revy done. And yeah. that, when you look at yeah. what Revy done, and then when he went to England, you can understand why... England wanted him to be the manager, but when yeah. he went and managed England, it just didn't. It didn't happen for him for whatever reason. I don't. I yeah. don't know. I mean, not picking our best players was probably the major factor, and it's really repeating yeah. itself with Gareth Southgate. But there you go. <laughs> yeah. Next yeah. story. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think we're both on the same wavelength there. Um, yeah. A book coming out, um, the number one, How Britain Brought Football to the World. Uh, be interested. There's a, there's a lot of books similar to this. I'd be interested to see well, how this differs. But it's, uh, yeah, How Britain Brought Football to the World by Stuart Laycock and Philip Laycock. So, um, uh, an amazing story of how Britain's brought football to the world, mm-hmm. including the British Naval Officer who introduced it to Japan's Naval Academy. And okay. the Cornish miners who took past his and football to Mexico, the first club in Uruguay. So, yeah, interesting. I, I'll, I'll certainly get it, because um, as I've just, just mentioned, mm. the history of football, always fascinating. You, you always There's always a new story that you you think you know it all, and then you find something else. So yeah. uh, that'd be a good one. Um, uh, a couple of others coming out. Again, I mentioned this pitch. There's one, um, Her Game 2, a, manifest, a Manifesto for Change by Matt Riley. Uh, it's basically a call to arms for women to have given equal access to profile opportunities and advanced advancements in the beautiful game. And we talked about uh, earlier, didn't we, about how women's football's come on, you know, leaps and bounds, hasn't it? Certainly, yeah, obviously, on the back of the European Championships in the summer. So uh, I know my daughter, my daughter's uh, nine next month. How much she loves watching football, mm. and she comes with me to the football as well. It's 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 um, it's popular, isn't it? And yeah. uh, but yeah, this is Matt Ryder's book that's coming out towards the back end of October. Um, so just one to look out for. Uh, and a couple more I would just mention. Um, there's one that's been delayed for a while, but it's called The Season in Hell. Um, comes comes out um, towards the back end of October through Pen and Sword books. And it's about the British footballers who were killed in the Second World War. Yeah. Uh, and again, just... Yeah, got a sad story, but again, just linking it to uh, some of the footballers that yeah never came back mm. basically from those sorry times. Um, and yeah, and I think I'll wrap all of that because there is forty. Like, like I said, there's a lot of books coming out that I'll be sharing over the next days and weeks in October. When um, will you be sharing that Leeds United book? Because that sounds tasty. I'm looking forward to that. Was that a, another pitch publishing? The, the leads, uh, yes, yeah, yeah the no, summer, summer of 63. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that comes out on Monday. Yeah, I'll be sharing that. Because, I, mean, yeah, I mean, what a team they were. When they got promoted, 
um, to the first division in yeah. 1962-63 season. Yeah. They'd, they got to the FA Cup final when... Was it? No, yeah. 60... No, it wasn't then. It wasn't then. That was Leicester versus Manchester United, 63. So yeah. Reeve had assembled it. They got to the... They got promoted 64, uh, 65, 64-65, they got promoted because they they got to the FA Cup final in 65 against Liverpool and St John scored the winning goal in extra time and they got picked at the post, I think by Manchester United um, and they drew in a game at St Andrews 3-3. They were 3-0 down at half-time Leeds Got it back yeah. for 3-3. Of course, there was only two points for a win in those days. But fine margins. And Leeds come within a whisker of getting promoted. And in the first season, winning the double. Yeah. That, that yeah. would have been some achievement. So that book is about the birth of Don Revy. Um, uh, Bobby yeah. Collins will, will be in... Uh, that book, he was very yeah. instrumental in the birth because he he left Everton and went to play for second division Leeds United. Yeah. So um, yeah, I'll be looking for again. Yeah. Not a Leeds fan, but with clubs like that from that period, yeah. I'm very interested in um, in, yeah. in getting and, them books. And it's great all for that Gary Edwards as well. I do recall reading a book about um, it was called. Um, not glossing over or no glossing over it. It was our football cheated Leeds United. I mean, oh, if you okay. remember, it was linking it back to the um, uh, when they missed out on the European Cup 1975. Yeah, they uh, cheated. Uh, yeah, yeah. So was it Bayern Munich? Yeah, Bayern Munich. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah, he wrote a book about that. I remember. And in, 19, and in 1973, Sniffer Clark yep. told me the uh, <laughs> a, a Roy, arrived on the same plane as the AC Milan team. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know they were cheated out in seventy three and seventy five. They uh, yeah. again, and that's why Leeds fans sing like champions of Europe, don't they? Because in their opinion, they were the champions of Europe. They yeah. they were cheated out of. That. I mean, in fact, Le- Leeds were cheated out of a lot of games. You know, I mean, I know people yeah. go on and and say about Leeds United, but. When things happen like that, you almost have, as Big Ron would say to me, a siege mentality. And I, I think yeah. Leeds developed that by things that had happened to Leeds. So, um, yeah, that would be yeah. a great book. I'm looking forward to that. I should buy that book. Yeah, excellent. I'll have a word with Peter as well on your behalf. Yeah, thank you. I'll be interested, in doing, interested <laughs> in doing a podcast with that. I'll, uh, I'll have a look at that and start following him and see if I get any response from the author. Yeah, excellent. Anything else, mate, or is that the end of our podcast? We that's it. That's the list from me. Um, there's lots of others coming out, but I'll, uh, we can pick up next time out. So uh, the one thing I did just put a reminder on myself was just to say, if uh, um, for fans out there as well, there's, uh, I don't because I don't think we've spoken since. I did share on the website um, to to correspond with two years of, since launching it. I did a, a feature of the 20 favourite football books, yeah. um, which I shared as well. So that's on the website. You can look on there about some books through the years, which have been my favourites uh, across the football 
and the years, etc. So, uh, and have you read all uh, them books, all them twenty? Yeah, 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 the yeah. twenty I picked out. Yeah, I've read them. So, yeah, I have my favourite <laughs> books, but I ain't read them. <laughs> They're just my favourite books. I like the cover and the pictures. <laughs> yeah, I don't read as much as I used to, if I'm honest. So, uh, but that's a different matter. How many, so, uh, how many are you doing a month now? How many books are you read in a month? Well, m- moving house at the moment, not a lot. I've only yeah. read one in the last. Um, uh, one of the last month, to be mm-hmm. honest, yeah. yeah. So, uh, um, it's, so I've got a longer list to catch up on. I've read, so. I've read chapters of quite a few books because I do, yeah. like with Johnny Giles, I got John's autobiography, started reading it, didn't have time to finish it before I'd done the interview. <laughs> so yeah. then I've done it with John Giles, I put that aside, and then I move on and doing another podcast with another player. So. Again, read half the book. I've read so yeah. many half the books, but um, <laughs> not many full books, apart from, as I say, Janet and John back in the day. <laughs> I must admit, there is books I could quickly read through. Um, there is, I can think of a couple of books where I'm fairly recent, maybe I've had a quick, and I won't read every single word. I'm quite a fairly quick reader, and I don't know, to be honest, if it's a book don't that's you not read quite grabbing, well, if it's not quite grabbing my attention, I'll, I'll never disservice books. Because yeah. uh, you know I'm not an author. I think they're always every author's doing done something I've never done and probably never will do. But there's some books where you you can you know first few pages in, it's not going to grab me for the whole way through. Got to mm. kind of skim through it, if I'm honest. See what so, I uh, do when I read a book. I'm usually reading the book because I'm going to be doing a podcast. Yeah, <laughs> I read the yeah. book and then I go, especially if it's something that I don't know and I'm, mm, I'm learning. Now I didn't, I didn't realise I played in that game there. And then I go, I go on YouTube, have a look at it, read about it. So, yeah, it takes me so long to read it because I'm actually <laughs> researching while I'm reading the book as well. So, Do you know that a very good point. The the introduction of YouTube yeah. and what have you, that definitely slows down me. I'll read a book. Yeah. Um, in fact, when I was thinking of reading my League League One Leeds book, yeah, uh, I was skimming. I found myself just thinking. Oh, well, I can even see that game, you know, that goal, etc. And I find myself looking on YouTube. Yeah. And before I know it, I've just gone into a world of looking at YouTube videos. Yeah, because you go from <laughs> one to the other, don't you? That yeah. follows on, that follows on, that follows on. Yeah. You're looking at that, and it's just like a, a spider's a point, web you know, or, a, or an A to Z, and you're just going up all these different roads and different, you know. Yeah. And before you know it, it's time for bed. Absolutely. Yeah, a bit like Zebedee warning. Boing, time for bed. Ta-ra, see you. <laughs> On that note, it is a good night from me. Thank you so much for your time, Andy. Always Likewise. a joy and a pleasure. And thank you to Colin Abbott for being our author of the month this month. Uh, we will probably do it within four weeks, uh, part 10, and then part 11 after another four weeks. But... It has been a bit mad with summer holidays and, you know, yeah. then moving house, et cetera, et cetera, and, and what have you. So, well, till next time, thank you. And you always say, what's your what's your catchphrase when you say Happy reading. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Happy reading, everyone. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.